0: While you're up, would you get me a soft drink? You must choose. Choose wisely. Discover the great taste of Diet Coke. You have chosen wisely. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, now available on videocassette. Catch the adventure with a Diet Coke. Beep.
1: Marker. Beep. Beep, 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 beep Roll out. Famously of all my films that I was <laughs> seen <laughs> in my film. Beep beep marker. <laughs> Action. Roll out. <laughs> Smother. Beep 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 beep. Tail slate. Check the gate. Nobody will change the way I feel. Wow. Simply too unreal. All That's right. some um, your Sabbath there. <laughs> Anyway, I was listening
2: to um, I was cutting this thing for work and it has to do with music. And I had this sometimes when you edit stuff, especially if it's not for air, but it's a sizzle reel to sell a show and it's for internal and you can really use anything you want just to make myself happy. I'll slide something in, whether it's like a horror cue or a piece of like John Carpenter music or. Yeah. The thing th- this time it was what was related, something that I could make sure was in was was a sh- very quick shot of Ozzy Osbourne, and to me it was <laughs> it was very important that like this says it's me, like if I can sneak in a shot of Ozzy Osbourne, how did you sneak in a shot of Ozzy Osbourne? <laughs> well, it's the it 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 fits for the for what it is. I'm, I, ha- I actually signed like, to, to work on these things. You actually signed like a non disclosure agreement. So I can't really talk
1: too much about what it's for, but. Um, but I mean, they're relating to like a rock. I mean, what's. Yeah, you know, it has to do with censorship and
2: rock and roll.
1: And, oh, okay. And so it stuff. was like something like that. And then you're. It's not just yeah, you're yeah. randomly like a girl's cleaning a, no, it's a vacuum no, commercial. No, it's a thing. <laughs> it's a picture of Ozzy. You know, because Ozzy was always very controversial. And yeah. So yeah, there's, yeah.
2: there's all that stuff. And so. I was like watching through, and I could only find like low res images. So I was watching through. I was looking for something very specific on the cover of the uh, the '80s album. That yeah, there's an '80s album that's a live album where he covers all the. Maybe it's called Speak of the Devil. He he It's a live album where he covers all the Sabbath tunes. It's just Sabbath tunes, but with his '80s band
1: post. That's not the. um, That's not the one where he's in the insane asylum, right? Is that Howl the Moon? Or bark at no, in the moon. No, that's
2: Diaries of a Madman and okay, Bark at okay. the Moon. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, those
2: are studio albums. But there's this live this old, album yeah. which Sharon wanted to get out. Yeah. Just before Sabbath put out their live album with the with Dio, so like the same year, Ozzy had a live album <laughs> yeah. of Sabbath tunes, and Sabbath yeah. had a live album. Um, and he's got like fangs and blood coming out of his mouth on the album cover, and that's the image I want. I wanted something like kind of scary. Yeah. So I was looking, and my my boss was like, "It's too low res." So I was going through videos and stuff, looking for a good image of Ozzy, and doing down that rabbit hole. I was list. I ended up like looking at music videos and listening to like later, more contemporary Ozzy from like the '90s to today, looking for something that w- looked really good. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? You know, I never listened to a ton of solo Ozzy, especially post like. The early '80s, you know, Randy Rhodes, and a little bit after that, there was occasional stuff when you and I went to uh, to New York City to try to get something signed by him at Virgin Store, and he had that greatest he had that greatest hits album come out, and all the stuff on there I really loved, and Back on Earth, which was a bonus track on there, like I still love, I think it's a fantastic song. But I had this realization that like listening to this stuff, and also his I do have his lat his least his newest album which has, like, a lot of people on it, like Jeff Beck, rest in peace. Clapton plays a song on it. And, um, and that's really great. So I had this realization, like, I feel like so many artists, we, you and I talk about in terms of filmmakers, but even musicians, like, as they get older,
1: they kind of don't get as good. Mm, yeah, like,
2: you know what? Like, I feel like Ozzy's kind of gotten better
1: over the years. It, it, it's a rare talent, but that happens. Like, either you sustain or if you, if you kind of evolve... You know, I guess as a performer, I artist. never really
2: went dove like, really deep into like solo Ozzy because I was such like a kind of Sabbath purist. And sure, I thought Randy Rhodes was great, and I think Crazy Train's awesome, and Bark the and all those songs are great. But they they've, I mean, they haven't aged as well as something even like Van Halen, which is of the era and of the. But when I listen to the more contemporary Ozzy, I'm like. Like, these are really good songs. Like <laughs> like I don't know how inv- you know like I know he probably writes lyrics to them and stuff and probably comes up with like the melodies but it's like you know what like I, god bless him. I think I'm going to do a deeper dive into the like later years of Solo Ozzy because I feel like uh Ozzy, I mean he's had his issues especially in recent years and I don't think yeah. he's going to really tour anymore but um I feel like Ozzy, like, just aged, like, fine line. <laughs> he just kind of got better over the years. At least the songs did and the songwriting, I you don't. Know?
1: Yeah, yeah. Remember, that was crazy. That was, we stood in line to, to meet him. We didn't get into meeting him. And uh, that was a block away from where I work now. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. That side street is, like, where I get used to get all my takeout, you know, like, th- th- at lunch or dinner. And that's I'd run where there. The,
2: the idea for Pigeons was born in that line
1: that was you sitting there looking at all the pigeons from the church and that, that's so f- <laughs> weird because then at work sometimes my building we can go up to the 12th floor I can look down at that church you've walked through yeah, yeah. so you see so that's so weird that that, and I watched, used to watch those pigeons you know <laughs> go around and stuff like that for people that don't know when we were freshmen in college at film school
2: my, my, senior, my, uh, my freshman film like the f- my, my thesis film for the end of the year I made like this very experimental black and white shot on 60 16- Millimeter kind of thing about pigeons set to music. And it was born was Deanna and I waited in the line to try to get that album signed, that Grace Hits album signed by Ozzy.
1: At Virgin, right? The Times Square and Virgin. Vir- Virgin and Times Square. Yeah,
2: Virgin Records in Times Square.
1: So the line was so long it, it snaked around the block down forty sixth. And uh, we were standing there for like three hours on the south side of the street in this queue and Across the street on the north, north side of the street was this church. You know, it's like a nice Catholic church or yeah. whatever. So we were standing there looking up at it and you'd see all the pigeons that would come down and stuff like that. Yeah.
2: And like specifically, we were, I was just sat there and watched pigeons like picking out a piece of like discarded pizza crust for like an hour. <laughs> I
1: was standing there. <laughs> and
2: I was like, I think I'm going to make a movie about pigeons.
1: Yeah, the New York City, the city pigeons, like, you know, and then them doing stuff. Set to music, set to the piano score by uh, Josh Nasugi. The late,
2: the late great Josh Nasugi, man.
1: Yeah, we we're really getting down a rabbit hole, and that's been a criticism but, for a lot of people. Something but... slightly
2: more on track. I did want to pick, I did want to, before we jumped in to today's special. By the yeah. way, uh,
1: today's special—it's <laughs> about to appear. <laughs> Music. By the way, it. you're listening to Saturday Night
2: Movie Sleepovers. I'm Jay Blake, and with me, as always, is Dion Baya, Mr. Dion Baya. Um, well, hey, we're back for our summer edition of the show but uh, surprise before we before we launch into a 4 hour discussion <laughs> about the movie we sh- we need to talk for an hour about something some other things
1: so when you hear the the, the chime beep turn over
2: the tape <laughs> turn the record over i'm sure many of our listeners have already discovered this but um, I'm, I'm 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 new to the party i discovered that th- there's an action star more contemporary action star martial arts star named Scott Atkins. And last year I went into a deep dive into the more contemporary Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and he's in several of them. Nice. Um as and, you do. And <laughs> as we've discussed on previous episodes I'm I've been in a big martial arts phase of my movie going uh m- movie watching. Um
1: which could become a, maybe a subject of a future book. Could, you know, be. It, could yeah, be, yeah, as yeah, you said. So, it's,
2: well, never, only time will tell. That's my mom sc- says. Only
1: time will tell.
2: Yeah. But I like this guy Scott Atkins, and I was watching. Uh, I watched John Wick Four recently, and there's this very like eccentric character in it, it who's like I want to say he's German. I can't remember. My you know my memories.
1: <laughs> I have no. It's so full of useless facts that it's hard and to penetrate. Blake doesn't even do drugs or anything, so no, no. So, you know, uh, and I was like, this guy looks so familiar.
2: Who is it? And I looked it up, and I was like, oh, it's Scott Atkins, like in a fat suit. You know, everybody was like, oh, Colin uh, Farrell in Batman. That's amazing, and he's awesome. And I was like, you know what? Good for Scott Atkins, because this is like he doesn't actually get to act. All that often, and he's like really, he's you know he's acting his heart out in this scene. He's yeah, a very like flamboyant, kind of eccentric, mobby kind of guy. Did, and, did, he's fight, a, and he's fighting in a fat suit, which is awesome.
1: <laughs> does it is it a surprise? Is it is it look so good that you didn't know that it was a guy in a suit? Or
2: I could like I could like it were, yeah.
1: When you start looking at like it, the, you the, start to tell.
2: Yeah, well, once you realize it's him, you're like, oh, but the makeup is incredible. I mean, okay. It, I mean, you wouldn't know. If you didn't know who he was, you would just think that they just hired a heavy guy who can like do splits and do high kicks.) And stuff. <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> Although I've the, the body's a little um, you know, the bodysuit is a little round, you know, a little yeah. rounder than like a real person. Like it seems, but his face and his neck, anyway, that's just besides the point. Scott Atkins does a, a show on, YouTube, on his YouTube channel. Called The Art of Action, where he interviews action, st- like martial arts action stars and choreographers and stuff. And I wish there was an audio version of it. So, Scott, if you're listening to this, <laughs> we know he is. <laughs> but uh, he did a, his most recent episode, a two part episode with Keanu. But um, he's had Seagal on the show. And uh, I just listened to one with. Um, I can make it like something McKinney. I can't remember his name. The lead of the movie, um, no retreat, no surrender. Mm. Uh, so it's a wide eclectic group and all these people are, uh, most of these people are all the people that I've been watching lately with the, my eighties and nineties martial arts, uh, things this so he, was
1: really, uh, advertised or geared toward you. Yeah. You know, like, it was like, perfect I am yeah.
2: sure I'm just, like I said, I'm sure there's people listening, uh, who, are like, yeah, I've been watching it, asshole. <laughs> Where you been? I've never heard of it. I, and this is you said on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. I wish there wasn't. He, they do kind of put on the clips of the movies, and sometimes they comment on them. And I guess that's why they think it's like a very visual thing. Yeah. But um, like I listen, I just kind of listen to it on my phone, um, which is a pain in the ass because you can't really listen to YouTube without with turning the screen off.
1: Yeah, you got to leave the screen on and then if you have it in your pocket, so yeah, sometimes yeah. you'll pause like, it or like like jump around and <laughs> yeah. um it will rewind itself. But
2: uh you know, like he's a decent interviewer, but you know what he brings to it is a perspective that, you know, someone like me couldn't bring to it, which is that like I'm not a martial artist who makes movies, <laughs> you know, so uh it, it's worthwhile. I just want to give a plug to Scott Atkins, (laughs) the art of action, uh, because it's kind of like my new uh, listening thing. It's a thing I've been listening to lately. And I think think it's relevant to uh, conversations we have on the show, and I think people who listen to the show who maybe don't know about it might enjoy it.
1: I'd like to listen to the one with Keanu, then talking about the... I'm very fascinated with those, like today's subject of like Harrison Ford, say, doing all his own stunts and yeah. these guys. who I, I mean, I love to do that when I, whenever I do stuff. You remember in college, Marissa Wu hit me with her car half a dozen times and she didn't <laughs> even use the footage. <laughs> <laughs> I got hit by a Saturn three or four times for some video assignment and then she's like, oh, I didn't need it, you know, because I was like the scarecrow. I forget what was some existential kind of yeah. assignment. But, you know, so uh, I, I'm I'm fascinated by people who do their own stunts. So I think that'd be awesome to listen to that and hear like how they talk. We did this this way or whatever.
2: yeah, I... yeah, the Keanu stuff is interesting because Keanu's very um, he's very thoughtful about yeah. you know things, and um, you can tell he just he's not jaded, even though he's like a huge movie star. And you can tell that he just loves it. And when he talks about it, he talks about things like with the excitement of like a child on Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is very engaging to listen to. So I did a two-parter that starts with things like, you know, point break and and like go through to the Matrix and then the, up to the John Wick moves, all the action stuff he's done. Um, and uh, he's that doll flungering on, you know, like, and uh, just a lot of familiar faces if you're into uh action movies and martial arts movies as uh, we are so
1: that's my new thing so i uh, nice just, i wish there was an audio version of it <laughs> well maybe they'll export one now well that segues us to what we're talking about today <laughs> speaking of action <laughs> speaking of action uh when was the last time you saw the movie we're covering tonight
2: <sighs> i don't know it's been a long time um could be 10 years. Okay. Maybe. You know, yeah. I don't know what I've said in the previous uh, installments of the this series. A um, couple of things. For the people that, you know, if you blindly put this on and didn't listen to didn't look at the title. <laughs> We're doing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yeah. And 1989. This, I think this is the only series that we've done in order. Um, maybe, yeah, we've done, I mean, yeah, we've done the other two movies. We haven't done any more Star Wars movies, but we did start with Star Wars. The original yeah, yeah, movie. so
1: we're on our way. So if we ever <laughs> do another
2: one, we might, we'll probably do those in order. Yeah, At Empire. least of release, not uh, yeah. a chronological uh, story. But um, I don't know what I said in Raiders of the Lost Ark or Temple of Doom, but uh, I've always kind of... I've been like a secret, I've always been like a secret lover of this movie in terms of, you know, everybody loves Raiders of the Lost Ark. And I know you love Temple of Doom. And I've always, even in college, I used to say, like, if it came up, I'd be like, oh, well, Raiders is my favorite one. But on some days, Last Crusade is my favorite movie. Yeah. If you catch me you're on, on the right day. But I do think this is my favorite one of the series. I just have always loved this one, and uh, we'll talk at length about why
1: uh, as we get into the show. Well, I find it interesting because I've met in my later years now, uh, past 10 years or so, detractors of this movie. There's a there's a vocal audience that don't like it because they think it's too silly or too campy. And I guess that was also some of the criticism at the time from some critics as well. And I I, I guess have to be full disclosure. I love this movie too, and I think it was I think it works great at not at one point. Does any of that, I think, become too hokey or wrong for me? And it goes back to, like, for me, the experience of seeing this in the theater. You know, uh, we went, my dad, my dad's friend John, and my friend Martin, we went. And I remember driving in the minivan there. It was May of 89, and we're talking about Batman coming out in a month, and my dad and his friend John are having that conversation like you know they're getting Michael Keaton to play Batman the guy Mr. Mom and Beetlejuice (laughs) how is that gonna work we're gonna have to go see it in a month and summer 89 is freaking huge for what came out that month but just seeing this in the theater like and then being that I don't know what was I the 10 year old and watching this and just falling for every beat every line every moment I mean you know it's just uh, I can't explain the like unadulterated like virginness of that experience Uh, And then we've talked at length about, like, Batman in the theater or various other quintessential movies, but to see this in the theater and, like, that, I mean, it just completely still works for me. Wore the shit out of it, and then I hadn't seen it, uh, you know, probably since post-college, you know, I haven't, maybe 20 years I haven't seen it, you know, and then we've, we watched the other ones as well because we've done them for the cast and stuff, and... I probably haven't seen Crystal Skull since it's come out. Yeah, so I think I've only I, seen that once. Yeah, and I, I th- and now it's, you know with this new movie coming out in a couple weeks of this our podcast coming out, uh, I'm gonna go watch Crystal Skull again because I'm kind of interested just to see. You know, I remember liking the first half of that movie very well. Um, and, uh, where am I going with this? Oh, so I've acti- actively stayed away from this movie for a number of years, thinking like, okay, I've already revisited the first two because the excuse was the podcast. I was like, we're going to have to revisit Last Crusade at some point, so I don't want to go watch it or see if it's on. Or and, and it's been so long for me that I tried to stay away from any of the imagery because I, I wanted to kind of have it be fresh for me or the, the dialogue or whatever, so I didn't watch any clips or anything like that until we watched the movie. And, uh... Luckily I was like hey you know let's let's do Last Crusade and you're like yeah so it's like it's such a great experience to rewatch it and you know have all that joy again but I'm like yeah this is a great movie
2: Yeah um Last Crusade is probably the first one I saw in the movies at the theater um it's probably the one I watched most <clears throat> as a teenager uh but Raiders is probably the one I've watched most post-college. Yeah. Um, like I've been to screenings of Raiders at midnight screenings in the city. And, um, Temple of Doom is easily the one I've seen the least amount of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was definitely a latecomer to it because we did, I didn't see it at the movie theater. I don't think I saw it right away on video because um, you just kind of. Uh, back in those days, it had to be, like, if I was at my dad's house and what they wanted to rent. <laughs> you know, like, I didn't have a VCR at my mom's house, and it it was still new, so it wasn't on TV yet, and I didn't have cable, even when it wasn't new anymore. So uh, I don't know when I eventually
1: saw Temple of Doom, but it wasn't right away. Um, I had access to it because my father had bought a previously viewed tape. So it was, like, a Pathmark tape that was in the... the Clear clamshell, but it didn't have any box art. Yeah, it's Temple of Doom. So then I was able to just cycle the crap out of that. And then growing up, when I was mm-hmm. little, Raiders was on a lot because it was probably because Temple of Doom was coming out. Yeah. So because of that, they played the crap out of Raiders on like HBO or the Movie Channel, those kind of things. So I would see it like you know on in the original format. Um, and uh, so yeah, so I'd seen Temple a lot too. So to me, it's like, you know the.
2: Uh, like the undiscovered Country, Star Trek, undiscovered country is my favorite Star Trek movie, and it's the one that I watched most as a teenager. I taped Mine it off. Well. I typed it off of like CBS with commercials. <laughs> knife. <laughs> and uh, so I watched. I just happened to watch it a lot, and um, and this one is the one I watched a lot. I mean, eventually I got like the three tape set VHS set of all three of the the original trilogy, but. I just always really loved it, and um, I don't know if like, because the reasons why I love it are a lot of the things we're going to discuss. So I don't know if I should start talking about that now or if I should wait for when we get to those moments. Yeah, in the discussion. So uh, we're a little rusty.
1: <laughs> the other thing too was so when this movie ended up coming out for me, uh, I guess uh, I forget back in the day. So it must have come out by the fall. So I remember it was a big. It was always a big time when the movie came out like in the theaters versus when it came out on video. So, maybe 6 months later. Or so, cuz I remember like Batman coming out in June and then they were like, you know, 6 months later you can get it for Christmas and I got it on tape that Christmas and it was yeah. a crap load of money, you know. So, at the pa- local pathmark when uh, Last Crusade came out on video, there was this big display, this big cardboard. It looked like one of the things you'd see in a movie theater. And in the center of it were, like, you could put the VHS tapes. And it was Indy on the horse, pointing the gun at you. Uh, and then behind him, the airplane And it. was all that kind of... Stand- and then the airplane had, like, a propeller that was out that was a piece of clear plastic, you know, so it looked like it was going. So when Pathmar ended up throwing that out, my dad was able to get that for us. So I had this thing in my basement... You know, for three years of that bot, you know that art, and you know I'd go down there, hang out, and like, okay, you know, I mean, you can only do so much with it. Just look at it, you know. But it was, it was all, you know, because you could put video, yeah. You you can't really play with it, or you know, I mean, you could put videotapes on it, but that wasn't any of any use. So having that growing up, you know, well into like, you know, my days of t- Ninja Turtles or Dick Tracy or Rocketeer and all that, and I'd still go downstairs and then, and then in '91 we went to one of the two times i went to disney down in florida the mgm studios was brand new and they had the indiana jones uh stunt spectacular down there which was freaking awesome and i taped the entire thing i have it still on videotape and uh you know live so i have that performance in that day in, 19, in january 1991 <laughs> who like, was working that day yeah i probably should people would love that <laughs> So I have that. And then afterward, when they, and it's an amazing show because they, they take from the three movies. But at the time, when you're into Indiana Jones, you know the crap out of The Last Crusades and it's in the zeitgeist. And then, you know, you, to see this live is amazing. And then when they usher you out, <clears throat> excuse me, you go through like the little shop of buy whatever the hell you want of Indiana Jones. Yeah. So my dad bought a fedora. <clears throat> so the speak. rest of that trip.
2: Yes, but we know what happened to that Fedora. Okay,
1: I was gonna say. So and then and I'm still I'm still <laughs> mad. That's why I'm bringing it up. Because I'm watching this movie, I'm like, you know, I would love to have that Fedora that my dad had and I, I let this know. kid I let this kid borrow it because he was a beginning Indiana Jones fan. And then me and the kid lost contact because we'd make movies, we'd play Indiana Jones. So I was like, Yeah, you can borrow my dad's hat. My dad doesn't wear it anymore, it's up in the closet. And then I lost contact with the kid for a number of years and I saw him like, you know, I guess in college or post-college. And he's like, I don't have the hat anymore. That was years ago. And I was like, what, do you, how, what kind of an answer is that? You know, that was somebody's, you know, I mean, that was... You're uh, supposed so, to treasure that hat. Yeah, it was a, that was a really, you know, and then I have, then the rest of the trip, all the home video is my dad wearing that hat, you know, walking around in the Indiana Jones hat for the rest of the trip, you know, because he had just bought it. So I want to get myself a fedora. And it's a hard look to pull off. Yeah, especially but, but that, in, that one. Yeah, so, and, and you get it the, the, the right... The
2: top of it is so tall. Yeah, and I think it's think we hard. talked it,
1: about this in the Raiders cast. Like not a lot of people can pull
2: that hat off, but Harrison yeah, managed a, to m- pull it off yeah. perfectly. And
1: it doesn't yeah. hurt that it's also they customed it for his head, you know, yeah. too. So you're you're going blind off a size you can get on like, you know, a Chinese site. So anyway, uh it was it was just it was an incredible time having all this stuff and its impact and it just it does surprise me that they never made any toys for this because if it would have been such a market i know they'd made toys for raiders yeah. and i'd find even at the time this movie came out i remember going to like a a, a discount store and seeing the raiders toys for like 2 dollars i am like ah, that's weird and it'd be like the the guy he kills with those big swords in the we market you know
2: them. i don't know yeah. if, if, i mean i don't know if they were mine or my brother's they're probably bought for my brother at the time yeah I had Indy. I think I even brought the indie figure up to college. Um,
1: yeah, I think you did too. Yeah, had you like had a, a f-
2: spring whip arm.
1: Yeah, it was and really. And it, they were kind of weird. They weren't as uh, articulate as the GI GI Joes, and they were like a smaller size. Yeah, I don't think they were as small as like mask, but they were kind of smaller. So that you, it was odd to play with a GI Joe that would tower over him. You know what <laughs> I mean? Yeah, I yeah. had Indy.
2: I had the guy in black with the swords that he shoots in Raiders. Yeah. I had uh, Bellach, but in the Oh, the, the at the Toga end, tire with like yeah, the yeah, with a white, uh, the turiya, ter- yeah, yeah, and priest we had outfit. the, um, we had the like the, the truck, the ark, oh, tomb oh. where they like place. Are they picking up? <laughs> <laughs> which was like just a couple of pieces of plastic that looked like stone. I think it came with a bunch of fake snakes. Some of the snakes were molded into the, yeah, sculpted into it, and then there was the ark, the thing that covers the ark. Um, the mummy and uh, and then these like chopsticks that you would put <laughs> into the
1: thing to lift so they could carry were, the Ark out. Were you able to open the Ark? Did, did, did thousands of kids all over the world get <laughs> turned into yeah, a little I Ark? Ark and... <laughs> I think the Ark did open, actually. Imagine that. They open the Ark and they all die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all these kids melt every time. Don't open your Ark, kids. <laughs> because if you open that Ark, it could be bad Fine news. On the back of the box. <laughs> Yeah, warning: do not ever open, because <laughs> kids will melt. Um, and then they didn't make any toys for Temple of Doom, which would have been cool. Like you know, s- sacrificing and yeah, you know, all these different. <laughs> yeah. With your rip heart out, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, shibba, um, shibba, um, shibba. Short round, <laughs> bringing back to us, yeah. Short round with his like blind, blocks, like the. Mind the mine playset, car, car playset yeah. would be all like, like, a, like, like stompers sliding like yeah, like, no, down. That'd be awesome. Roller
2: coaster thing that would have been the awesome. Chinese
1: guys at the beginning and, and when I think where are they? They're like in Shanghai or wherever. Like you know that have all the guys in the suits. <laughs> yeah, like,
2: <laughs> the playset of like that. <laughs> that restaurant club. bar.
1: Yeah, and, and then you could like hit the button and have the gong fall and roll.
2: <laughs> you can ride behind it. It's the button where it plays like the. Anything, anything goes. goes, but like, you know, in really, Chinese, cr- really crappy in... <laughs> coming out of like a tiny little speaker.
1: <laughs> and it's in Mandarin as well. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Anything goes. This <laughs> sounds like absolute
2: garbage coming out of that thing.
1: I got to put a new uh, battery in. So they never made toys for that or this movie, which is a shame because I would have bought toys for this movie. You know, I mean, they did say they went for more apparel, like you know the hats and like you know, I guess clothes. And I've s- discussed in the podcast if you go back to Raiders, we break down what he wears, and actually you can go get some of that stuff nowadays. Those. Uh, Bootsy has. I love those of the, the Aldens. I think they're called. Um, that's my dream to get those, but they're like a couple hundred dollars, like like four or five hundred dollars. But they never really ventured into like the toy market, which is crazy because I, I think I would have been a huge proponent because this movie was so awesome when it came out and it was so exciting and it was just it, this was the beginning of the summer of '89 for me because this came out and then after that was Star Trek 5, which kind of came and went, which I didn't see in the theater. Batman. Lethal Weapon 2, Ghostbusters 2, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Uh, I'm sure there's other ones. It was a crazy summer. And this was the one that really knocked it out of the park at the beginning in May of 89. Yeah, I mean, it's a a hell of a year for, one, movies
2: in general, but for sequels. I mean... Yeah, yeah. You have this. You have Back to the Future 2, Karate Kid 3. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What do you got, uh... There was a nightmare. El- now, Nightmare on Elm Street Five came out. There was a, a G- there was a Friday the Thirteenth, right? Yeah, probably. Manhattan Manhattan was a Manhattan takes Manhattan. Might be eighty nine. Ha- yeah, Halloween Five. Plus, you got Van Damme coming in with both Cyborg and Kickboxer. I saw Cyborg in the theater. Best of the best. Wow, that's a hell of a year for movies. Trial of the Incredible
1: Hulk. Trial. Of the- that was a huge TV <laughs> event. Which, which is that the one we covered here? Which I
2: think we covered on the show very on. Yeah, early I think on. that's the
1: one we that was like our second or third episode we did the Incredible Hulk. Yeah. So I mean Major it was League, it's, a, Leviathan. it's a tremendous the Leviathan's a f- fantastic movie. So it's a tremendous year for 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 movies like this. And this movie uh, I uh, as we've been hitting home for 10 hours or or 10 minutes. I think this is a a very valid great sequel and I don't know why a lot of people kind of label this as the third favorite. Because, you know, everybody has... It's almost like your favorite spaghetti western of the Leone trilogy. It's like, you know, people like this, that, and the other one. You know, I like Temple of Doom. People like Raiders. Uh, and then there's people who like, like yourself who like this. And I think this is a valid... This is a great third movie. And a lot, a lot of people say this is the third and final movie for them. They don't even look at freaking... Oh, um, it is the
2: last know. crusade.
1: Yeah, yeah. So technically... <laughs> You know, and yeah. then he did the one in the early '90s. So this is who knew we were going to be doing a uh, Harrison Ford double feature because we had just covered The Fugitive. Yes, la- last month or a month ago. Which, uh, I think probably
2: at least partially inspired us to do
1: this. Panel. Yeah. <laughs> and um, while he was filming that, The Fugitive, he went and did the. We talked about that in the last thing. He went and did his little cameo for the Return in Young Indiana Jones. He cameoed while he was growing his beard out as Indiana Mystery Jones again. Of the Blues. Yeah. And it has a lot of famous people in that, too, like Jeffrey Wright's in that. And uh, uh, there's a couple, Keith David. There's a couple really uh, well known stars. So it's a really great episode. So it's fun to see. Indy coming back and doing, and he's still on form. I mean, you know, Harrison looks great. He's in his late 40s at this point. He's still doing all these stunts, and Sean Connery's fantastic in it. So it's like this, it's just, it has all the right, and then when the, you know, I still know the trailer by heart. When you saw the trailer of, like, you know, all the different, I've been shot at, I've been, you know, you call this archaeology? You know, it's like, it's like, it's fantastic. And I think that's going to do it. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. Good night, everybody. (laughs) Well, we're rusty. Well, okay, so... Um. So we cleaned off the dust. Yeah, <laughs> we're looking at the box. <laughs> we uh, here's the knife blade. Set the stage. <laughs> yeah, we set the table. Um. I think, and you know what? Before, and do you think about all the. Movies were at eighty nine, end of the eighties. There were so many of these movies that were re- coming out at the time. You know, *Romancing the Stone*, the uh, Alan Quatermain movies. I saw that second Alan Quatermain movie, the, maybe *The Lost City of Gold* or whatever the one is, with Sharon Stone. I saw that in the theater. Uh, *Jewel of the Nile*. You have all these kind of adventure movies, and they have an, another indie coming out, the one that's leading the pack, freaking awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I you know, I'm not a kid now, so I don't know what it's like um i can't imagine that like a movie coming out is a as exciting for kids today i know my my nephew likes to go to the movies but that's because like my brother made it a point to make sure to take him to the movies yeah when he was growing up because my brother says like a lot of like a lot of the kids that go to the movies with my nephew like that's the only time they go to the movies is when my nephew's like, let's go to the
1: movies. <laughs> you think it would drop off in sales as well as culturally like people. Yeah. You can just get whatever you want on your phone. So why do you need to wait? And like now it's like, that's, I was like, well, what is the, what does he want for Christmas
2: or first birthday? And he's like, just get him like an AMC card. So like, that's what every year I just get him like gift cards <laughs> for the movies. Cause yeah, which is great. I warm as my heart to be the one that pays for him to be able to go to the movies with his friends. Uh, but you know, for us, like a movie coming out, it was huge. I mean, Batman, we've talked about obviously many times, Batman, me seeing the Batman trailer at the beginning of uh, dream team (laughs) and be like, Oh my God, it's coming.
1: And, uh, even seeing it all the time in the theater or like on TV, you just get exposed Being at the
2: movie theater and seeing the poster for something that's coming up.
1: Or yeah. the, like you said, the big cardboard
2: displays. Uh and it looks fucking awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just know? like the excitement. Like on the on the Blu-ray for uh Last Crusade, they have a trailer and they have a teaser trailer. Yeah. And the, and the teaser trailer is just like footage of them making the movie. Yeah. And it ends with like uh Harrison Ford putting on like an NBC baseball cap, like out in the it was like all in a day's work or something it's a part of the job and then it's like indiana jones and last crusade coming 1989 and you're like and i
1: can't i got excited (laughs) (laughs) i I peed a little bit (laughs) it's coming i was mildly incontinent at the moment (laughs) how amazing is that yeah that one i forgot that's the one thing i forgot to do is rewatch the trailers because there was that one the trailer proper I knew by heart back in the day. You know how it was edited, how it yeah. was cut. Because when you're exposed to it, and that's such. It's like knowing jingles or cartoons when you're little, you but know, the... or the other. Remember the when you'd get the videotape of this movie. The the trailer at the beginning was the Diet Coke commercial or was it Diet Pepsi? Yeah. Where the girl's trying to go, the woman's trying to get to the kitchen and she's got to like do all this stuff and she has to jump across her fr- kitchen because it the cracks open and then she has to choose which one to drink. And then the, the they had the night in it. Yeah. You chose wisely, <laughs> you know, because just for the taste of it, Diet Coke. I think that's what it is. Yeah. You yeah. know, and there's a guy who looks like Indie, but you know, you can tell it's not really Indie. But few, I mean, think about it. I mean,
2: teaser trailers were. Typically very short, yeah, and uh, often didn't have like really very a- rare as anything well. that was in the movie. You know, like I remember the Spider-Man teaser trailer that got pulled because after oh the Twin 9-11, Towers eleven, which yeah, the Twin Towers, but. <clears throat> Or remember this Transformers one where it was like on
1: Mars on the rover. Of- <laughs> that's that, that's the think the best thing they've put out of the entire series <laughs> is, is that teaser trailer right there. I mean that thing was I, I was mildly incontinent when I saw that. But as well. the,
2: but the teaser trailer for Last Crusade was like two minutes
1: of behind the scenes footage. You see, and like- also sometimes with this stuff too, it's like you have temp music, so you you'll see like a uh you know Terminator 2 trailer teaser trailer and there'll be music from like Lethal Weapon you're like oh I recognize that music from another movie since Indy was already regarded property they've got his music proper right in it that John yeah. Williams is but cr- the thing cranking. like the thing
2: to tease it was like Harrison Ford Steven Spielberg and then you yeah. see Steven like on a on a on like the you know on the back of something as he's filming the movie Sean yeah, Connery and it was like you know it was a series that Spielberg was as big as any of the stars in the movie yeah they could sell it on just the fact that he's in it George Lucas but the yeah George and it's like them opening up the the (laughs) director's chairs with their names on the back (laughs) you're like like, I forgot about George Lucas where is he been (laughs) but like the teaser is just you know it's You know, Harrison Ford, like my hat keeps coming off and he staples it to his head. (laughs) You you know what I mean? Like it's it's, for as a kid, you're like, holy It's all like behind the scenes footage. And it's like I can't even imagine like a movie being
1: sold. Anticipated. But the way
2: that it was sold was it's being made right now. And it looks (laughs) great. Here's footage from it. Look at the action.
1: And it's, you know, it's so, I mean, it's each stage of it, you know, all the, all the set pieces and actions, the the finale with the tank, it's just done so awesomely. I mean, again, my 10 year old self sitting in the theater, eating that popcorn and watching, you know, Vogel's like, (laughs)
0: they're
1: shooting the tank out and the music is just, it's incredible. Incredible. Well, let's jump
2: in. Let's jump into it. All right. 'Cause we're we're dancing around it. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're tiptoeing. We're, we're tiptoeing, <laughs> we're tip-toeing <laughs> yeah.
1: up to the door. But we haven't entered the the haunted mansion yet. So the last time we were here was Temple of Doom. And that's a prequel. So this takes place after Raiders. And this is like 1938, which is pretty cool, right pre-war as well. So you got a lot going on in Europe and stuff. So you're able to dangle Winter Olymp. Well, not the, the Olympics took place in 36. So, you know, that's all relevant here, too, and all that kind of stuff for the, with the Nazis coming to power and all that kind of stuff. So we're ready. We're in a great time for this movie to be set.
2: Yeah. So it's, it's coming out, was it five years after Temple?
1: So it's yeah. been a while. Yeah, you know, time seemed so long. A lifetime bad. for as a kid, you know. <laughs> yeah, you say know, that's a lifetime for a child. You know, I, you think, know, I think about eighty four like, to eighty nine. You know, you
2: know, my recollection of uh, like, uh, I guess Back to the Future two, which is we discovered right now, was eighty nine. Was like, yeah, I seem like holy crap! Like it was so long ago that they made yeah <laughs> back to the future now they're, they're filming two back to back yeah. <laughs> holy crap be it, it seemed like a lifetime between yeah. between those movies but same here so it was like holy crap so 89 they decide they're gonna make another one uh you know we talk a lot of in, in temple i'm sure um, i didn't go back and listen to our discussion but i'm sure we talk about how dark temple of doom was and yeah how there was a bit of a backlash. To the darkness of that movie and how got him a PG thirteen. The darkness of that movie helped create the PG thirteen rating. Darkness, Charlie (laughs) Murphy. Yeah. So I think you can look at uh, this in a way as like as a reaction. To to that darkness, the fact that it's a turn return to form. It's uh, feels much more. It feels much more like Raiders does. Um, and we've injected a bunch of humor into it, which kind of lightens things up.
1: Which is completely true to the original, what all this is homaging, you know, that era of the adventure, the pulp and all like Tintin, whatever the hell. I mean, this is, it works completely. It's completely on point to, you know, it, It's the the humor is an aspect of it that was kind of Brought in a little bit sprinkled in Raiders, a little bit in Temple, but it's always been there and it's great. And I think that you're right, as it being a reaction to the darker Temple, this, you know, there's just enough here to make it work and it's great and it's fun.
2: But, uh, you know, this is a movie that went through many versions, many revisions of script. It um, notoriously originally started with uh, Indy on Vacation in Scotland and a haunted cat and ca- a castle that ends up being haunted.
1: Now that's that's awesome. There there's that movie from the with Liam Neeson and uh, uh is it Peter O'Toole? You know that movie that the it's the it's a haunted it's the exact it's they're in a haunted mansion in Scotland and upstairs the bed I don't know and they're they're on a but it sounds very much like that. The plot of this movie, that, that what they wanted this because this sounds awesome. I would love to see Indy <laughs> dealing with a specter in in Scotland at a haunted castle, you know. But they a lot of you know poltergeists had just come out with Spielberg and stuff like that. So they which is really... weird
2: because that was all like the setup for this idea that Lucas had to do like Indiana Jones and the Monkey King, which <laughs> is like Chinese mythology. So to have it start <laughs> <laughs> in yeah in sometimes. a haunted castle in Scotland. Uh, boggles the mind just a tad Um, reportedly it goes to show you like how long it takes to develop these things because reportedly like one of the reasons why Spielberg shot that down was because like he's like I just did Poltergeist but Poltergeist is like 1982
1: (laughs) yeah and they're and they're talking about doing this in 84 85 is when they start talks of sequels so that's kind of initially how long this takes going through revisions to get this off the ground and what's what they're doing at the time, you know?
2: But, uh, Lucas pitches like, what about the Holy grail? And apparently Spielberg shoots that down. He's like, ah, it's, you know, people are going you know, to, I don't want people to just like Im- immediately associate it with mighty Python. <laughs> yeah. Like that's like what we're doing. So it goes through a million writers and a million drafts. Um, and, uh, I think it was Spielberg that said, you know, let's do the father thing. Let's have a fa- relationship with a father and
1: Lucas. And- the, you know, it, it seems that they do have, in the first uh, one when we talked about our angle and Raiders was talking about the audio tape they made with, uh, was it Kasdan? I forget. The, what's yeah, the gentleman's Lawrence name? Kasdan. Yeah, and they hang out and they really just kind of like talk out in a, in a, in a meeting. They kind of come up with the plot of Raiders and they – come up with the backstory of Indy and they almost give you a lot of that ends up being in Temple and it seems like they did a little of that in this movie with I guess Chris Columbus like they sat around with Columbus initially because Columbus had written a couple like Goonies and he wrote something else for them too and it seems like the initial idea that we get shitted out the Scottish thing and all that kind of stuff and what we just talked about the Monkey King is something that like Columbus listens to them takes all these notes or whatever while Spielberg and Lucas are Throwing it back and forth, he comes and writes, and then when they get to that point, that's when you just said that, like Spielberg's, like, no, I don't want to do a, 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 you know, it's like there, it seems like they already they had somebody write this. Columbus writes yeah. the script. Columbus out. wrote a whole script, and it was, you know what uh, I mean. And and kind they of had, a search
2: for Holy Grail, but <clears throat> apparently it was like magic peaches that <laughs> of eternal life.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like, they had like pirates, like a Tashiro type pirates that are going to the raiding them, and they have to go to this uh, secret garden that has, if you eat these peaches, it'll give you, like, it'll restore your powers or give you the everlasting life, and you have to be of right mind and body because if you eat the peach and you're not right, that's what happens to the Sh- Tashiro character. He ends up dying for whatever reason. So, it... It's them talking it both out again, and then Christopher Columbus goes, writes it, comes up, and they're like, "No, we don't like it. They give it to uh, the woman who wrote the Romancing the Stone script. she does a version of it. she changes stuff, and I guess starts this is when you start adding more that ends up becoming in last Crusade. You add like the um the maybe the parental relationship here, uh they add uh the Elsa character in an earlier form, they add some other stuff, maybe the Panama hat guy and uh, from there, what is that? That's also rejected too. They don't like that because now we're getting into the point where he he starts looking at saying like they start even I guess scouting locations for this initial idea, this Monkey King movie. Yeah. And um, at some point, he says, you know what, uh, you know, lampooning like the indigenous African tribes might be out of taste nowadays, you know. And it, so I, I'm not so, but they, so they they already start spending money like almost it's like pre-production because if they're scouting locations, I don't know if that means they're just sending like assistance on or does that mean like spielberg's actually going to some i don't African, think it's probably you
2: know, i don't know if i doubt it's spielberg but
1: they probably have. unless he's justifying just some holidays or there's, you know, yeah, could be.
2: there's definitely location scouts that that's yeah. what, that's their job um and so it uh, gets
1: to that point before they say you know what maybe i don't frank know if we Mar- like the monkey king maybe
2: frank marshall the producer or the other producer was going on and, and kind of doing that kind of stuff
1: yeah but it's just one of those
2: things i mean it's i imagine that there's a lot of pressure um I mean, clearly, uh, the mythos, the fandom of Indiana Jones has grown over the past 30 years, probably even, you know, but still Raiders was a huge hit, even though, uh, critical response to Temple of Doom was somewhat mixed. Uh, I'm sure it made a little controversial, (laughs) made a boatload of money and, uh, so there's probably a lot of there's a lot of pressure, especially because I think they've at this point they've decided like we're going to do three. This is going to be the last
1: one. So well, they say that initially that they signed up for five in '79, which is interesting. I read that online. So I wonder this one one that's coming out this month of 2023 is the fit would be the fifth. So I wonder if that is any validity <laughs> to that that they're finally after 40 plus years they're getting a a fifth their five picture deal. But you're right. I guess they were originally just looking at it as a hey, you know. We're all going our own ways at this point, you know our trajectories. So let's try to get it all together for this movie, and this might be the third and last one. Yeah. And for years, yeah. and it ends up feeling
2: very much like a final yeah. chapter.
1: And they go on with we can get into the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles and stuff in the '90s, but for many years, this was this became almost like Star Wars of, of Legend. Are they ever going to do a sequel? Now it's done with, you know, it's you know, it, you can't, it's like you know, like Dirty Harry, like that. you can't do a sixth one. How old's he going to be? That's ridiculous. So it gets to the point where people were lamenting for years, like now they don't need to do a fourth one because the third this closed out the series yeah
2: so spielberg wants to add a father son thing and eventually lucas says "Look, what if we do uh indy as a kid in the beginning you know and so they're bouncing these ideas around and they they end up coming up with the idea that ends up being this movie and i'll tell you why in my opinion these two simple things work so well brilliant um The kid, Indy, as a kid, I think I have a more appreciation for having done the Raiders episode. When you see, uh, if you haven't listened to our Raiders
1: and Lost Ark episode, um, or Temple for that matter, go Tem- back and listen to them, but I, I think
2: they're they're maybe two of our best. I think Raiders is probably us at the at the height of our podcasting.
1: Power. Yeah, they're seminal because
2: <laughs> um, we dive into this. This the transcripts of these recordings that Lawrence Kasdan made when he was making the movie, and you really get to see the wheels turning in um, both Spielberg and Lucas, but especially Lucas to get Raiders made. Yeah, to get but like everything he's thinking about, <clears throat> it's a lot of like indie. He studied in Asia and he learned this and he did that and he and him being like, I know we can't fit all of this in the movie, but this is who this guy is like. Lucas has worked out exactly who the character of Indiana Jones is.
1: Yeah. They came up with like a Bible almost for them to have, even though you're not putting it in the movie, they're having all this backstory so you can reference it. So
2: he knows, you know, who his dad is and he knows what adventures he's been on before this. And he knows where he studied and where he's picked this up and where he's done that and where this scar came from and, (laughs) and all these things. And so to then kind of give us what, could easily be just like a gimmicky open to a movie works because we you and you and I and our listeners know that this is a pre has a is a fascination that Lucas has had the entire time for this character. But it also it works because Spielberg wants to make this movie about a father and son. And so it's about Indy's life before this moment. Yeah. We don't really ever get up to this point a whole lot of history about, you know, who Indy is and what he's done, what he's been through. Who he We get it because, like, you know, he knows Marion and he obviously, you know, like Marion's father was a mentor to him. And so we get the relationships throughout Raiders. Um. That give us a glimpse to the kinds of things and the life that he's portrayed. But we really, we don't really know a whole lot about him up until this point. So to be like, this is the last, this is potentially the last movie, but we're going to make this about a father and a son. So because this movie is really about Indy's development at, the, at its core. It opens the door to do this little intro and it also sets up very quickly at the end of that opening scene, what his relationship with his father is, you know, that like his dad is preoccupied with this book. He doesn't even want to hear what Indy has to say and all that stuff. So it ends up working really well for everything that I see. You know, a lot of people are revisiting the Indiana Jones movies right now because of the new ones coming out. And I'm sure sh- a lot of people seem to be doing podcasts about them. And I see a lot of people posting on social media like everything that I hate about Solo, you know, I love about Indiana Jones. And I personally love the, the Han Solo movie. I mean, I think it's weird that they do pack like every reference that has ever been made about Han Solo <laughs> into like this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, But I I like it. I think it's a hell of a lot of fun. But everybody's like, everything I hate about this kind of storytelling works for me in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Part of that, I think, is nostalgia because you saw it when you were a kid and all that stuff. But part of it is because it feels organic to the story that they end up telling for the rest of the movie. Because it is, it perfectly sets up what the rest of the movie is going to be. And it also it's a kid, you know. It also it's fun, you know. It's you know Lucas is coming off of producing Goonies and and all that stuff. Kids on an adventure were huge in the '80s, and so we get a little taste of that. But we also get to see like why he's afraid of snakes and and where the <laughs> where the scar comes from. So it also is like just a fun little thing to to kind of address. You know, questions that us as a
1: viewers didn't know we had. Yeah, but then you're like, huh, Like your your light, like you know, when he, you say he gets the scar cut. Yeah, you're like oh, of course, it all starts making sense. Like it's just like they're ringing these bells. But it and also
2: kept... it also makes sense because you know we this is the only thing we see. We end up later seeing the Young and Indiana Jones Chronicles, but um, up to this point, it's the only thing we see, and we see. It's like a pivotal moment for Indy. You know, like is this is possibly his first adventure. You know, at least of this of the archaeological kind could be. Yeah. P- probably likely. We see like his morality where he stands on archaeology. This belongs in a museum. They're stealing it. And uh so it is like it's the jumping off point of where The character who of who the person indiana jones ends up becoming it seems like this is like the turning point in his life (laughs) everything else that we know about indiana jones up to this point probably starts at this moment that we're watching
1: and i've always found it brilliant like i guess they they kind of nail it uh down for you with the young indiana jones chronicles but to have the character be birthed in 1900 so that Basically, that means he can be wherever in the in the in history in the 20th century and it works. So 1912, 1913 here, you know, he's he's on this Boy Scout troop mission, which is very like brings you back to those pulp dime store novel novels of that era of like the Boy Scouts going on an adventure, the turning of the West. From the, the Wild West to like the domesticated West of, you know, where there's cars and there's trains and there's automatic weapons to have him being able to be in the 30s. I think it's so awesome that, that you know, he's 1938. He's 38. You know, uh, it fits so perfectly. And this is so because we're kids and we it's, it's identifiable to see at the beginning of it's this kid who's potentially your age going through this adventure because we've had these movies of adventures, Kids in Peril in the 80s and all these kind of kids on adventures uh, with the Explorers and the Goonies and all these movies and stuff like that, that it works so perfectly, brings you right in. And you don't even realize because at first they give you like the f- false start. You think is that Indy down there and they're like, Indiana. And then you hear the kids say, that's with River Phoenix, Indiana, Indiana. And you realize, oh, this is Indiana. you know, And then this is back long before stuff would be, kind of like I guess spoiled for you with uh, maybe word of mouth would get to you but especially if you saw this opening night or opening weekend you only really saw the trailer and th- that would be the extent you wouldn't have five or six different versions of a trailer or or potentially a teasers and stuff so you're seeing all this fresh so it's just such a pure way to see it and you realize oh this is Indiana Jones and like you said then you see him you know going after that the cross of the Coronado and seeing this guy who ends up clearly becoming his mentor how oh, he you know he aspires to the father figure because his father isn't there and you and I both read the novelization for this uh the original novelization by uh Rob McGregor for for this uh podcast so there's a little more in it like you know where he he talks about he tried to get his dad to go on this trip because he thought it'd be a good bonding experience because he knew his dad was so smart his dad would be able to tell the history of where they're going to the troop and his dad wasn't bothered like you said his dad was more concerned about doing the grail and he's like you know I'm I'm a philosopher, an expert on like ancient European or or you know that kind of medieval stuff. I don't I even want to bore myself doing this. So, and then you learn that his mother's dead, you know, and and his I guess they one version of the script they were going to have it be um, Margaret, his mother was going to he was going to run into the house and his dad was going to be on a long distance call, so that's why he couldn't talk to his dad and his mother ignored him. But then they ended up dropping that and there's mention of his mother later on. So, but it, you get all this stuff it's so seminal to who he becomes and who he wants to be and what become begets you Indiana Jones. He gets the hat at the end of it. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and then that's the hat we're supposed to know to like, he's had all his life, which is amazing.
2: Now I saw a bit of trivia that I don't know if it's true. I saw just one mention of it. I didn't, I couldn't really see it anywhere else, but I saw someone say, and I don't know where they found it. So it's all conjecture that, In earlier versions or ideas that the guy with the fedora, who's referred to as fedora in the script and in the novelization, was Abner Ravenwood, who was Marion's father.
1: And I find that to be brilliant (laughs) because you know that that's a mentor figure. And if his I mean, the you think about how old Indy is versus how old she's supposed to be, because, you know, she seduced him supposedly. But he's a college professor. She's a a co-ed. Uh, would mean that I guess he would have the child later in life, or the child maybe just born, you know, maybe th- this guy, but it's, it, the math does kind of work, and I think that would have been brilliant because in the novelization as well, which is done off prior versions of the script, but I, th- I think it's a really solid novelization if people want to go f- track it down and read it the original one, you have a lot more backstory thrown in, or a little more just sugar-coated stuff, and you learn that, like, the guy. And there's much more of a back and forth in this sequence with the with the guy even more so than in the movie you know so where there's the, the respect at the end and you know like you know you and then he's even talking like harrison ford you know yeah or it's almost like a john wayne kind of a delivery you you, you, you almost did it today kid but you know <laughs> don't let it you know don't let gumption. it go. yeah you know and so it's it's so it's great to that that's how why he becomes how he becomes and it's it's interesting because it's almost like humbling you know, it's like, you know, as children, you look up to something and you become that whatever. And it's almost kind of like uh, validating that, hey, yeah, you you can rip off your whole look from somebody you met when you were little. Who cares? You're who you are now and you're the original type, you know. So it's for me, it was almost like a realization like, wow, you know, Indy is Indy because he met a guy that looked like Indy back in, you know. <laughs> Uh, you know, you yeah. could do that. You know what I mean? It was that was okay. Well, even emulate. on the
2: in the in the second opening scene, the boat scene, the, oh, the, which with, I love with Panama, yeah, the, the uh, Panama hack. You know, Indy says something like, "I see you haven't changed your style or whatever," and and Panama says like, uh, "Well, your your style kind of looks familiar too." Like referring yeah, to like <laughs> yeah, that he, he
1: ripped it off. You're ripping it
2: off from the from that guy, from the guy in, in the previous scene.
1: But before we hit to the the, the cargo ship scene, which is awesome, uh, I guess to close out the beginning, I just find that all awesome. You know, the train, you know, you have this great, I'm always a huge proponent um, when I write it in my, especially in my last book, which was like basically a modern Indiana Jones kind of copy, but of, of a private detective in the 30s, or I'm sorry, in the 40s. I love set pieces. So I love trying to figure out. Uh, In these kind of movies and stories, having set pieces and then how your action can get to those set pieces and have it be realistic and um, realistic in the sense of being true to the script and it could be plausible within the context of the story, why this is happening. So I love having a set piece like we have in the first movie, the truck chase, Uh, the stuff in the second movie. And then this one, you know, at the beginning, having it be on a train. And it's so cool. You know, it's a circus train that's flying by. He gets on it and it's like the storytelling is done so well, the script is, in my opinion, so polished, the one that they end up filming, that you have, everything is upping the ante in the scene, you know, one joke or payoff, and you realize, I guess, um, the benefit of having a lot of cooks in the kitchen who are good at what they do, because yeah, it sucks that they went through seven versions, which I guess we'll touch a little more on as we go, of these scripts and stuff, but you realize the finished product is worth it. You have all these different elements that are in there and it's so clever and it's so good why he gets the scar the snake bit them jumping from train to train functional using a real train jumping in and off of um the cars and stuff like that it's just so good action river phoenix is so good in the role and it's funny because they say harrison ford has suggested river phoenix because they just did mosquito coast together that film and when i never occurred to me until watching in this viewing her, uh, River Phoenix is doing a pretty good Harrison Ford impression. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean, like you know, I found that really funny. You know, I I I I digested that this this go around, and I thought he was it's really good. So I think he does a bang up job. And um later on, not to get too far ahead, but when they thought about doing the Young and N. Jones Chronicles, they were saying like, uh why don't we see if River will want to reprise the role and do it on TV? But he didn't want to go back to television. But that would have been awesome. You know, having him be the young Indiana Jones because it was such a good opening. You know, it yeah. worked so well. It it turned out to be, and uh, I it just it's it's like it, it's so it's so great. It's so true to the character. It's so he's a Boy Scout, Utah desert. You know, it, again it's a it's a location we really haven't seen uh, in the Indiana Jones world, although he's been in the desert before and stuff like that. So it's so awesome.
2: Yeah, and there's that great moment in the movie. That uh, can't help but feel. I guess it's probably when he lands in the in the lion's uh, car. Yeah, and his bangs are in front of him. Yeah, he's like (laughs) totally shemp. Like he has yeah. to part, part <laughs> his bags to see the line. Yeah. <laughs> very, very Three Stooges.
1: It's, but it's just good. And then like even like the bumbling, you know, the guy he's fighting, the kid has been, they were in like three movies together. They were in The Explorers. They were in Stand By Me together. The kid that's chasing him, yeah. Ros- Roscoe, or Roscoe, I think his name is in, in the novelization or in the script. Um, mm-hmm. And all that, like it also, again... What they're doing in the movie, since it's pre-CGI, pre-blue screening for the most part, and, and for these kind of context settings, seeing all this stuff done practically, man, it's so awesome. You're on a real train. They're in wide shots of cars, like you know, Ford 1912, 19, you know, uh, uh, Model A's at high speeds next to a train, and they're jumping from car to car. Very Emperor of the North. It's like it's so cool to see all that and these guys doing this. You know, of course, it's heavily choreographed, but there's still, like, shots where they're doing, like, maybe 15 seconds of action, and, you know, you're supposed to trip and almost fall here. You jump back onto the other car and hold on. It's like, if anything goes wrong... (laughs) You know it, it, you know, it ruins the whole take. Someone could get killed or very badly injured or whatever, but it's just, I long for those. I mean, I don't want to see anybody killed, of course. But <laughs> yeah. nowadays, the like we were just talking about John Wick, there's that, I, I haven't seen the new movie, but the shot I've loved seeing from that new movie is them shooting that scene where he gets thrown into the moving uh, minivan on the highway, and he, yeah. they really did that. It wasn't like a blue screen. They had either... Keanu Reeves himself, which I think it was him or a stuntman, have them throw him in. It's like, I love heavily actified sequences with stuntmen and all, and then them doing it themselves, which I don't think River did here, but I, it just, it lends so much credibility than someone just on a, a green screen soundstage. And you could tell they just, you know, green screened it all in, you know? Well, that, I mean, that was in a way
2: what, I mean, I haven't seen it since the movie theater, but that's kind of what didn't work for me about Crystal Skull.
1: Yeah, was that it? Just it didn't feel real. It did for me, like in the New Haven sequences, like the yeah, first half of but the like, movie. Once
2: it's once they get to like
1: the, yeah the, South the big, America, the big bunker, like
2: the the big like, airfield, uh, wherever, like the big warehouse scene, like oh, and all of a sudden it's st- it starts to f- like he's also shooting it from angles that like because now it's it's all digital and everything, like, you're shooting from angles that.
1: You normally wouldn't be able to get like, Yeah, like you wouldn't be yeah. able to
2: get in real life. So it just like it just everything just kinda rang false to me and you and you lose a bit of the tension when you know like when they're later in the movie they're in Crystal Skull, they're driving like on the edge of like some cliff or something and you're like, Oh, well, you can clearly like, tell it's
1: CG, Yeah, like it there's there I don't feel any danger because it's a yeah. cartoon. <laughs> and in people for the beginning of that, people didn't like the subject matter matter I was totally along with the ride I love that he's at Area 51 I love the comical I may be in the minority of him running into the fallout town and they're about to drop the bomb and he's like oh his luck can't get worse it's I just find it so hilarious and he gets into the fridge how implausible that is of yeah. course but I love all that but I agree with you like seeing like the gopher at the beginning you know which is so CGI'd and then all those aspects where you could tell it's you step back like when they're fighting on the um the monkeys uh, on the jeeps and it's like so silly that they're driving 60 miles an hour having a fight from jeep to jeep on the hoods while they're driving it's like what the heck so um when you see it, it being done practically it lends a bit of credibility to it you know and and you're right it does take you out of it maybe maybe that's because of our age Could maybe be. you know that's weird too. I, you know because
2: i felt the same way with um Trying to think which Bond movie it is. World is not enough, maybe. Um, yeah, I think it's the one with Holly Berry. Whichever one that one is. There's some kind of like, like, uh, uh, like I don't know if it's snowboarding. There's some kind of scene or surf oh, where they're scene. in the snow, right? Yeah, there's something. There's some scene where it's like clearly a, a computer, you know, a cartoon Bond, and it's just like I it doesn't. This doesn't mean anything to me. Like I don't. <laughs> Like, I'm not I'm not emotionally attached to any of what's going on because, like, I know it's not James Bond. It's a cartoon version of James Bond. And so it's just like, like you said, it's probably just an age thing for us. But, I mean, it's definitely a very real, uh, you know, th- concern or feeling that, you know, I, I think that a lot of people from our generation— are having with these types of things. Like you've established, I've always said that like Spielberg is maybe the best, maybe in history, but certainly the best living director of, uh, you know, he's the most fluent in the language of cinema. Mm. Like he is, it's, it's not his second language. It's his first language. Yeah. And few directors in history understand the language of cinema as well as he, he does. And so when
1: the mise-en-scene,
2: yeah. Like when like that trust that like that bond with the audience is like then broken, like you're now speaking in a different dialect (laughs) with, with Kingdom with a crystal skull. It's, you know, it's, it doesn't, you know, it just, it's, it just doesn't, there's it rings false to me. And, I'm like you said with you I think I'll probably watch it again and I'll probably you know hopefully I'll I'll like it better this time and I didn't look I didn't hate it when I watched it but there were these things that kind of like pulled me out of it and it's just like there's this new language of cinema like we've I guess what I'm getting at is like we've developed this relationship with Spielberg's storytelling yeah and now he's in with that movie I feel like He's, it's like a different person telling the story. It didn't, and, it didn't feel like a like Spielberg. Like we understood like his language, and all of a sudden, like I said, he's speaking like a totally different you know dialect of cinematic language. And all of a sudden, it's just
1: like it just it just didn't work for me. And you know, my favorite takeaway from that movie crystal skull is the the scene when they're in his college in new haven and not just because i'm from there but because it was done practically where they had the whole car sequence where he's jumping from car to car if i remember correctly or hanging on they all did that down flying down the streets and i think it looks great because they actually did it practically with him on the motorcycle i think it was being chased and stuff and when that movie was being filmed in 07 i remember that they um were looking for extras and i went and tried out you know, because I'd done The Departed, and I was like, "Oh, let's see if I can get out." Like it was a big curtain or like a big cattle call for extras because they were going to be doing Yale scenes and filming. And I'm kind of glad I didn't get picked because if you watch that movie, that whole sequence, you, you, you there's no way you're going to be seen except if you were in that really beginning scene where they're in the malt shop before yeah. they this the thing takes off. But that's the only scene that I really liked in that movie because it was done practically, so it's very hard. And I don't know if that's a handicap of us being older because I watch. Like YouTube, if you go down rabbit holes and you watch stuff on YouTube, and I watch younger. If I watch, <laughs> it's, just, it's it's this is almost like a uh, a confession of like a guilty pleasure. I don't know if it's even a pleasure of mine. I'll sometimes watch these. If I like a movie, I will watch people's reactions to the first time seeing it to see if you know if they're how they're taking the movie for the first time or the the, the new surprises. So I've seen a couple people who watch Dirty Harry, Cold, say and that's a movie that's really near and dear to my heart, and a lot of people will specifically talk about how the movie's too dark looking. And like, my God, you know, why is it so dark? And I think that also has to do with the transfer maybe to DVD or Blu-ray that it's not done as as well as it could. So maybe these 4Ks might look a lot better. But when you watch a movie like that and you realize it's so dark, one, it's because of the story. They're doing it because they want to have it that dark. But two, it's the practical of having to shoot that. And I wonder if some people, this leads to me to my broader point, is I wonder if people don't realize that nowadays the limitations you had back then, and that's why things are done a certain way. So that is now why if we watch something that was done practically, it's a lot different. Some people may find that as a, a crutch, like, ah, you know, this isn't as good as what you think it is, because now um, you're able to see uh, stuff. Your, your eye is so used to seeing stuff CGI'd, you know, that now um, you can't, you know, ha- delineate. It's done so perfectly well, and we're used to that the limitations you had because you, ha- you were only able to do certain things with what you had back then is now looks like a, a crutch or, or, you know, and I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing, but I love all that. I yeah. love when stuff is done ha- bec- and then knowing the reason why it looks like that because you couldn't do what you, you know, I, I don't know if the, I don't like that that's lost on maybe a segment of the population of now audiences. Yeah.
2: But, you know, bringing it back to last crusade, this is a, this is a point in time just before kind of that language and that that style of filmmaking starts to change
1: altered forever
2: and uh you know so we have kind of spielberg at the height of his powers the height of his action the spielberg esque-ness and so we we're getting kind of um i think we're hitting spielberg in that sweet spot you know just before uh you know it's bef- it's before Schindler's list I mean he tries the interesting thing about Spielberg's career is you know I feel like Spielberg always as as big as his movies were and as respected as he was from other filmmakers and the audience of our generation that start that started to appreciate the craft of filmmaking. I feel like probably the generations before us. Aside from the monster makers like Rick Baker and stuff, the the monster kids that grew up fascinated with, you know, famous monsters of filmland magazine and wanting to know the special effects stuff. There's always there was always that segment, but I think on
1: a wider the Forrest Ackerman
2: yeah the Forrest Ackerman you know, branch mag- of people <laughs> yeah like yeah. the people that grew up with the monster movies and. And uh, the Ray Harryhausen stuff and fascinated yeah. with that kind of movie magic. Jack Pierce. I think because of cable television, and we've talked about this in past episodes, like the fact that we started to get a peek behind the curtain more than previous generations. I think our generation was one of the first generations to like
1: really start to appreciate we almost become fascinated yeah. with how it was done.
2: Yeah, like like the craft. Not just of the storytelling part, which I think everybody reacted to with the great directors and filmmakers of previous generations. But we got kind of preoccupied with the craft
1: of it. And Well, when... they almost, that almost came out to be like a supplement as part of marketing. Because I remember it all this time, with the exception of maybe Batman, that I remember there was tons of specials on movies you loved given to you either in prime time or some sort of capacity that you were uh s- able to see it it was a big special what with uh, who framed roger rabbit when that came out that i love that aired simultaneously on tv the same year this comes out i remember back to the future Two, them doing a big and this is pre that show movie magic that you and i love of the early 90s from this the discovery channel i remember like back to the future Two, them showing the behind the scenes of this camera with this diopter lens or this new system they had just made so that they can shoot the sequences with you know michael j fox or the other people in this frame playing two different people at the same time or the same you know back to the future one's happening in the background of back to the Future two so it's like all this craft at the time was brand new and they were showing this all to you it was i think they wanted you to come along for the ride and they wanted you to see all this stuff so we were almost fed this and we we it, it that kind of helped us get addicted to that because it was being shown to you in such mass that now as opposed yeah. to the old days you might just have like the ten second behind or 2 minute behind the scenes thing you'd see that like Warner Brothers would shoot as a compendium to yeah. something you know
2: but I think where I'm what I'm trying to get to is that um taking the long way around <laughs> is yeah. that um that kind of appreciation for what Spielberg did didn't come until later yeah and I think obviously he was celebrated For the amount of money he made and audiences reacted to the films the way they were supposed to react, the way he intended for them to react, and everybody thought he was great. But I feel like he—and this is just speculation on my part—I feel like he wasn't getting the kind of attention and the kind of respect that he was longing for as a director— I mean like Jaws gets nominated for best picture but he doesn't get nominated for best director. And I think he ends up being nominated let, later for maybe Raiders I, or or Close Encounters I can't remember. But I feel like he, and then and maybe E.T. 1941 was a huge flop. flop and, yeah. Um I just feel like we're getting and then Temple of Doom was had the kind of like we said mixed response. Um, so then he goes on to make the color purple. Like, I think he's trying to transition to be like a more Emperor of s- the sun, serious, serious filmmaker trying to get, I think he's, he's going for, the, he wants to win an Oscar. He wants or, the kind of respect of a filmmaker. That's not the kind of respect, like the, the, the fandom that he's been getting. So he kind of starts to change his career to do. Color of uh, Color Purple, which made a fair amount of money. And, and I always thought it was a great movie. And Part of the Sun was a bit of a misstep in a lot of people's eyes for him, or at least financially, it didn't really make a lot of money. He makes that movie Always, which I, I don't even think most, a lot of people, it's like the one like movie. Yeah, people. Wait, what movies? <laughs> I'll be loving you always. Yeah. And uh, <sighs> so it's like he's tried this thing.
1: He's trying to go this way. And it's just it, like, I feel like it's not working. And he's and, also putting his name on a lot of stuff, or he's tied into a hole, which we've talked about in other casts in Nauseam. All this other shit, he's coming out on the side, batteries, not, maybe he's not in batteries not included, but like Gremlins or this or that. He has all yeah. these other things, Poltergeist, and those are wickedly, wildly popular, and maybe they're coming out through Amblin or whatever. So he's got his mark on it, but he's not the one getting the straight recognition, you know, like- Or, uh, he, or he is. Roger Rabbit. Yeah, you know, like A lot, lot not, of people just aso- associate with those.
2: But again- yeah. Like I feel like he and this is again specul I don't know Steven Spielberg. <laughs> Steve, maybe tell but me. But from as an outsider looking at it, I feel like he is trying to get to someplace in his career and get a get a level of res- like a uh appreciation and a level of respect that he's not finding. And so he tries it and it's not working. And so he goes back to basics. With yeah. Razor, uh, with The Last Crusade. He Almost like up, what he likes. He ends up with- finding that with Schindler's List and then Amistad and, you know, like later, a few years later after Jurassic Park. But he comes kind of comes back to basis because like with, you know. You know, Argento was like, this will be the last giallo I make. And then he makes like Five Days of Milan, which is like a weird comedy drama, and nobody <laughs> likes it. So yeah. His next movie is Deep Red, <laughs> you know, like yeah. his most famous giallo. Movie. Like, they're like, we're not going to do this anymore. I'm changing my current direction. Oh, you don't like that? Okay, I'll go back to the basics.
1: Like Sam Peckinpah did that too. People were so pissed off that gory um Wild Bunch was. And all this criticism So he goes and makes This movie Junior Bonner With Steve McQueen About a guy who's a Rides you know the, Gets on the back of a horse For how many minutes Or a bull And that flops And he's like You wanted me not to do So and then he goes And does The Getaway Which is this hugely Graphic you know Great cult classic And he's like Well or Straw Dogs yeah. He's like see you, I, I go against I try to do something else And it's not you know Maybe as critically or successful, or whatever. So you know, but it does mark an evolution, I guess, in in his career, Spielberg. Yeah, he's, he's evolving in this this way. But at the same time, we're getting a Spielberg
2: going back to basics with Last Crusade. But we're getting a Spielberg who's almost a decade older than he was when he made Raiders of the Lost Ark. A Spielberg who has produced all these movies for other filmmakers. A Spielberg who's made Color Purple who's made Empire of the Sun, we're getting like a more mature, a more experienced Spielberg going back to like revisiting his younger self. And so we get a film that uh, is a little more introspective about fatherhood and about character more character-driven than some of the other uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark movies. It's, it's in some ways more mature, but it's also in some ways less mature because of all the comedy in it. Yeah. Um, but we're getting a guy who's confident enough now to be able to make a movie that can juggle some really brilliant comedic timing with where he had failed with in a lot of people's eyes with 1941, but with uh, the maturity of being able to tell this story about a father and a son in in in, in a in a fantastic way, um, so it's I think we're catching him at a very interesting part in his, a time in his career, which is just before Jurassic Park and and the way and the when cinema changes forever because of the advent of CGI. I mean, of course, we had it with a Spielberg uh, led f- film with young Sherlock Holmes with that opening scene, like it's yeah, yeah we've dabbled before. with cgi and we talked about like how cgi was such a huge part of last starfighter before this but it doesn't really take hold on the industry until jurassic park
1: which no because is... there's spielberg who still um he he collaborates and does uh, who framed roger abbott which we talked about in 88 um that's still all done practically for all intents and purposes aside from the then leveling in you know the optically printing in the cartoon aspects none of there's I don't think there's any CGI of that respect so it's still a, a kind of a blossoming you know niche there where they still have they don't really because I feel like if they could they'd use it to its potential if they knew they could and they kind of use it I guess we can at the end we'll talk about here or maybe a little bit they use it here but for the most part this is yeah it's it's everything's coming in and being honed uh to this to this one area and it's i agree with you all this stuff of him being this wiser you know more learned person coming back and having the direction be maybe the father and it's a search for the relationship to digging into a character study and then you're almost You feel comfortable enough to slightly lampoon the character when he's having these back and forths with his dad, and having him like you know being talked down to or whatever. Like you know, it's funny because it works because you have such respect for the character, and it doesn't make the character. It doesn't jump the shark, and it doesn't make the character look like a complete asshole. Say like some of the criticism of movies of the past. Uh, 10 years or so when they bring back these iconic characters just to whatever sometimes they shit on them or whatever you know so I think it just works so brilliantly and it almost makes it be the grail is the secondary story because it's him trying to find his father literally and as well you know at the end the redemption the illumination of them being they when their relationship is is fixed and they're brought together that's how the movie ends well that's absolutely
2: why I like this one the best, I think. Yeah. And I, you know, I said, like, I could talk about it now, or I could wait till we kind of get to it in the conversation. The father son relationship of this movie, I think growing up, I don't think I knew that's what I liked best about it. But now, you know, in my mid 40s, looking back, having done 150 or whatever podcasts where we look at movies, we go back and we look at movies. We try to look at them both with the original fresh we try to make a watch it with fresh eyes, but we also are coming at it with now a life's a midlife's worth of experience that yeah. we didn't have when we originally saw them. I don't know if I knew that's why I liked it so much, but looking watching it now, I realize like that's what I really love about this movie is that relationship and the fact that they try to tackle it. You know, I think um it, it, it's not surprising that Spielberg's the one that kind of uh pitches this idea of having a father-son relationship because you know, as we can see in the Fablemans, he has had a very complicated relationship with his parents. And
1: uh and, and that's that movie that just came out and that's what semi auto is it semi autobiographical it's, it's
2: it's very autobiographical but not but not an autobiography you know what I mean? Yeah. Um and even if you look at the movies leading up to this point and even up to like Hook, like the Spielberg dad figure is pretty absent. Yeah, you know, like the E.T.'s, like the dad's not around at E.T. I think there's phone calls with him, but he doesn't come back back for like a birthday or something. Hook, there's a missing father. Uh, the you know, I think it's. It's kind of a recurring thing in Spielberg's movie. So it, it's no surprise that he'd like
1: to try to tackle it in this Along movie. Along with children as well. Children. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, so that comes hand in hand. It's like, you know, peeling back the onion.
2: Yeah, obviously, though. It's like we were saying in the opening. But the, also the fact that, like, the crux of this movie, the, the relationship of this movie that's driving this entire thing, is stemming from his relationship with his father as a kid. Yeah. And why it turns out the way he does. So it becomes at its core, yes, it's this adventure looking for the Holy Grail, but it's a it's a it's a movie about like rejection, and daddy issues. <laughs> yeah, and the quest for the Grail is like just really this quest for like reconciliation between a father and son, and it's also brilliantly. There's like you like you just kind of said the, the structure of it is I think is fantastic, which is like yes, it's a search for the Grail. It's a search for the diary. It's a search, you know, like it's, it's, there's all these quests going on. There's the quest for this, the quest for that quest for a father son relationship. To and to find the father literally. And what the diary. Yeah. And the quest, you know, opens with, he's trying to find his father very quite literally. And what the diary like really represents, like the diary is this thing that his father cared about more than he did. Than he cared about Indy in, in yeah. Indy's mind. You know, forty designs. years of
1: research, which means, with coalesces with, you know, at this point, the Indy character is almost forty years old. But so it, it's his, all his life. This thing has been the, the the elephant in the room. It's like the the
2: the, the baby that got all the love.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you know, from his
2: father, but it's also the thing that brings them together.
1: It's, and it's something on a quest that they don't realize they need to have, but they have to have because to f- get this story settled, it forces them to, to to kind of address this situation, which I they don't think they would have had this not have happened. They would have probably kept this relationship going as it was because sure. I don't think they talk in all that way. You know, they're a strange semi. Yeah, Absol- you know.
2: absolutely. But it's also the thing that links them in terms of like, it's really relevant, but it really um, relevant at the end. But it's not said aloud. But it is said aloud when he finds him at the at the at the castle, and he tells him about how he found the the knight and he found the shield, and he's like, "You did it," and and he's yeah. like, "No, you did it." Yeah, you know, like it's. It's a nice he, moment. Yeah, and it's it's totally, like, that's what the end of the movie is about. But it's hinted at here, like, the fact that they, even though they didn't physically do it together, they did do it together. Yeah. Like, he, it's like the, it's been passed on to the son.
1: <laughs> like, his dad did all the leg work, and then, you know, Indy's doing the grunt work. Yeah. But it's all leading to this bigger goal that they're both need each other to achieve
2: yeah it's showing that they do both and he's like i would have loved to have been there and and he's like there were rats dad <laughs> like like I, he wouldn't have been able to do it without him
1: yeah it's like his that's his fear like indy hates snakes father hates rats you know yeah. it's, it's such a great so it's you like know. all this stuff is
2: kind of like brilliantly bubbling under the surface the way it's done it's it's not yes there are a lot of like extroverted outright things happening. But what I loved about it this time is that you see all the subtlety and what this, all of this means to them and that they don't even know that their relationship is being reconciled until the end, but we're watching it happen. I genuinely got teared up when after Sean Connery uses the umbrella to take down that plane with the seagull, seagulls and he walks by and he recites that thing. And I suddenly
1: remember my shot. And then we <laughs> see that
2: kind of like just slow push in. That's like two beats longer than any other director would have given that shot of the look on Harrison Ford's face where Harrison Ford is looking up to his father and being like, you, you did know. it dad.
1: You got us <laughs> out of that one.
2: Yeah. Like, and shocked. Yeah. And, and shocked that like this, Oh, this is the guy that I didn't, you know, that I, like not knowing that this guy existed and his dad, yeah. But also looking up to him, and I genuinely like I got all kind of choked up in that moment <laughs> because that's what this movie's about, and that's that's like I'm I, it's it's the most yeah it's nostalgic and just like the other movies were and everything, and um, but it's emotional, um, in a way that the other ones aren't. Yeah, so
1: that and it and it, 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 it's it's hammered home a lot too in the novelization. But all this grueling childhood that his father forced him to learn this or read this, uh, all this stuff he didn't want to do. This bookwork, you know, uh, ends up sub- subsequently in his life paying off. It's all the stuff that helps Indy not only get go his career down the road, but it's the basis of knowledge that he's able to then grab from because his father, you know, really instilled instilled all this made him do this made him learn these different languages made him read all this stuff he wouldn't have wanted to read you know like the lancelot stuff or the um uh what's his face uh uh, uh canterbury tale all that kind of stuff yeah. and be he, all this is paying off in adult life that he like you know like we talk about literally now us looking back on stuff and realizing how stuff you know um being a little more wiser in a sense, you know, he real, you know, so it's, I love all that, that this is, it was all, it was, uh, and then his father says that to him too, you know, it was a good upbringing for you, I gave you your space, whatever the hell, yeah. you know. But at the and, same,
2: but at the same time, that scene, he says, I didn't tell, I didn't tell you when to go to bed, I didn't make you wash behind your ears, I didn't do this, I didn't do that, yeah. I gave you your, I, you know, I, I respected your privacy. But what's great about that scene is, he is clueless, this guy who is, you know, got X amount of degrees, who spent his life, he's, uh, you know, ex- obviously extremely well-read, intelligent as hell, but he doesn't realize that all those things is what makes a father a good father. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes, he did. He, he he taught him to be self-sufficient or whatever, however, however he puts it, which is incredible. And in everything you said about uh, Indy and his dad and that relationship that worked is true. But at the end of the day, like what makes a good father is like the is punishing him for being bad. It's, you know, it's telling him to wash behind his ears. It's telling him that he needs to go to bed. It's like all those little things are just as important to being a father, if not more important than all the other stuff that Indy did take away from that relationship. But he doesn't, but he doesn't know that.
1: And I like looking at it now at the age we are in our mid 40s where. Um, I, I kind of identify a lot in a level that I didn't in prior versions of seeing like Sean Connery in my opinion kind of plays a little bit on the older father figure of like the, you know our parents are a little not, not bumbling now yeah. But they're a little more at the comedy of like, you know, them that understanding or, you know, so like when you see the father, like he's trying to, you know, the urgency in situations where his dad just walking around, he's like, come on, we have to go. You know, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's like a, a lot of that I, I, I appreciate more because it's like, you know, like my parents specifically not knowing technology, say, or that stuff. So the elements that they pepper in there of the of the son who's grown up or the child who's able to, you know, who's a grown man having to deal with the the, the wiser figure, but at the same time, the figure who is not, you know, he, he's kind of in his own world because of his age. And also, this could be a good point to bring up, um, one of my favorite playwrights, Tom Stoppard, who did Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are Dead, which is like one of my favorite plays of all time. They had him do a polish of the script. And this was also specifically, he came in and reworked specifically all the dialogue, the the back and forth. And a lot of the stuff when you watch this movie isn't in the novelization, the back and forth. So I wondered, if Stoppard's specific of working mining every conversation, the back and forth with the father, we're learning things, even if it's coded with history or the the backstory of the parent, the mom who died of maybe cancer or something, the illness or their 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 strain in a relationship. I don't know if this is Stoppard's credit as well as all the. those lines that are so memorable nowadays, you call this archaeology or, you know, no ticket or whatever. You know, I wonder if that comes from stopper, but it solidifies, you know, the uh, need to be able to have so much accomplished within these shorts back and forths, not just to be witty or funny, but also to further the story, the arc, you know, which is great.
2: I wonder, I do wonder the timeline because there's a lot of report, you know, reportedly, allegedly, like, you know, they wanted Connery, you know, this goes back to the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark episode where, like, the idea for how Spielberg became involved with Raiders of the Lost Ark is that he wanted to make a James Bond movie. Who doesn't? And he kept on getting shot down by a couple yeah. of broccoli or whoever. And <clears throat> Lucas is like... Screw them! Like, I I make something. our own. <laughs> I got <laughs> something for you that's better than any any uh, James Bond movie. And so they make which it... is very
1: Quartermainish, you know. I don't know, I, and I forget in our research for Raiders if that ever came up if he tried to acquire the 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 Alan Quartermain you know property to try to be do a adventure like or a Doc Savage. Maybe he yeah. did, you know. But they're like, screw it, we'll just do our own. Well, you know, yeah, because well, when well, you're that's... little, I just think it's an old character they're just bringing back. It's yeah, so yeah. well so greatly made well that's the thing i mean we've talked about this in numerous episodes like the rocketeer you know including greece you
2: know like you know i I think everybody thinks this idea of like nostalgia filmmaking and television is kind of new a new obsession but it's not it's just it's just that like the the people that are making stuff now are just obsessed with the 80s because like we grew up in the 80s and oddly enough now we're on to, like, the next level Well, really, like, the people who are now calling the shots grew up in the 90s. Yeah, but so they're, they're reminiscent they're, about the 90s. But they're, for some reason, still obsessed with the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we talked about it with Greece, Like, they, they were nostalgic for the 50s. And they're Back to the Future. And Lucas and... was clearly, this, like, just a nostalgic guy. Like, I don't know what happened where he, like, didn't want to live in the present. At, his, at like in his twenties or whatever, because oh, like American He made American that kind of graffiti. Then he made Star. Well, he made THX, but he made Star Wars, which was a throwback to like Flash Gordon serials. And then he wanted to make Indiana Jones, which was a throwback to like the Alan Quatermain stuff and other kind of more adventure uh, serial uh, films and stuff. So I mean, this was it was it's Lucas's bread and butter at that you know at that point was like re envisioning.
1: Stuff they grew up on, like yeah. watching at the theater, the little serials and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's so realistic to me that, yeah, you think that these people were, like I said, Rocketeer. It's like, you think these are characters that are from that era, but no, they just made their own. So you're right. So they want to have, they want to make a Bond movie. They can't. So they're like, fuck it. We're going to make our own, yeah. you know, we'll just make our own character, <laughs> you know?
2: <laughs> so it was very kind of, uh, as Spielberg puts it, full circle that when they wanted to cast uh the father of Indiana Jones, they had to look at like, okay, so who, from whom's loins could, could this character yeah. have sprouted from? And also, a, it was kind of poignant that, you know, this all started with we wanted to make a James Bond movie, so let's cast James Bond as his father. Sure. And Roger Con- Moore. <laughs> <laughs> and Connery's only 12 years older than uh, Harrison Ford is. but Yeah, so he was getting busy pretty early. <laughs> but uh, you know the, him being bald doesn't hurt the fact that he's no, great that works doesn't great, hurt yeah. and the fact that he's uh, a talented actor I mean I think what is kind of brilliant about the movie is I, I can't off the top of my head think of two of other movies where the not the two of them together but even the two separate two of them separately get to stretch their comedic chops as much as this they do in this movie
1: yeah and they embrace it so fully because Connery is such a um everyone, of course, knows the Connery from the Bond movies. And, you know, a lot of people may forget his side projects he did at the time. You know, that he did all, you know, trying to get away at some point from the Bond movies. He was doing all types of movies left and right. Sci-fi movies or, um, you know, crime movies, historical movies. So, um, you know, he has such gravitas when he comes to this. And then he fully commits to the character and the role and the story. So he's able to almost lampoon himself a little bit. Yeah. But you it's know, also, thought, you know
2: that's what I'm it's kind of again it took the long way around what I was trying to get is like I wonder what the timing of things is because you hear that it was Connery who kind of read the script and suggested
1: like you know we could we could play a lot of this stuff for comedy between yeah. Harrison Ford and yeah you're right that's his kind of he takes a, a look at it, and he comes back with all these notes that they end up using to a certain extent. Like, yeah, we can do A, B, or C to make this funnier. He suggests things that beget things that end up being in the movie of yeah. the back and forth. But also Tom Stoppers brought in to kind of specifically... Polish the dialogue. Polish the dialogue uh, between the two of them. Yeah. So I, I wonder, like... Maybe taking Connery's suggestions yeah, like, and then having Stopper actually come up with the the most astute uh, quick immediate way to get to that idea yeah. as opposed to Which having... is the kind of dialogue that he's kind of brilliant at. <laughs> yeah, I mean if no one's read or seen *Rose and Gilson are dead, there's a fabulous movie with Richard Dreyfus and Gary Ullman and... Um... Uh, Tim Roth that he directed as well. But uh, the play is amazing. And I know the play because when I was in theater in high school, my teacher, Mr. Slushberg, who was very much into plays, he'd always give us different scenes, and I got a scene to do that. So I had to go read the play. And it's just it's so brilliant. So that's why, it, in the first glance, you're like, oh, this is a good movie because of the back-to-forth. But then you realize there's so much behind that, the genius of being able to get so much across again, you know, in a scene, not just the comedy laughs, but you're also getting the relationship, you're furthering the story. It's a, and, you it's know. a brilliant,
2: absolutely brilliant script. Um, yeah. There's a new movie that's on Amazon Prime right now called Rosalind, which is like a modern Rosencrantz and Guildenstern, but about Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. And it's very entertaining, but it's no Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, yeah. So we get like all this, we, we get them, we get all these comedic moments, but we get these two kind of brilliant act, serious actors uh, getting to exercise some comedic chops and timing that to my, off the top of my head, I can't think of any other instance where they get to do it. And the fact that they're so brilliant together. Is amazing. The chemistry between them is great. This is probably as much as I love the James Bond movies and you know Connery and and, uh uh the untouchables and all that stuff. Yeah, like this is probably my favorite Connery performance. Like I think he's just so great, yeah. Um understated in a lot of ways. Uh you know, like what about the boat? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going out, out for the boat. <laughs> you know, or just and such great dialogue where he's like, uh, you know, like they're trying to kill us. Like uh, this is, he's, yeah, Dad. He's like, well, this is a new experience for me. <laughs> yeah, this happens, to me all, it all happens to me all the time. Like what a, like that that you know that. Exchange of dialogue like sums up this entire movie. And this is this a normal day for you? <laughs> nah, this is actually better than most. You know, it's like it's just so brilliant, and just the looks, like when uh, Elsa is like, you know, was, that was fantastic. Last night was fantastic, and <laughs> we like, the, the night we spent together was fantastic. Really, really well, wasn't it was night. Yeah. And, and then you get Harrison Ford look over your shoulder. Oh god. <laughs> it, it's just like. Look, like, I can understand people not wanting a as comedic of a movie in in their Indiana Jones, especially coming off of Temple of Doom. If Temple, especially if Temple of Doom ended up being like their favorite, um, but for me, it just works. I personally could do as funny as I think the uh, Denholm Elliott stuff as uh, Brody. As Marcus Brody is, like, I think he's great in those scenes. I personally could do with, like, a little less of Brody being a, like, a clown character.
1: Yeah. More More straight like he is in Raiders. But it's, you know,
2: but at the end of the day, it's, like, kind of nitpicking. You know, like, I... Yeah. He's so... But he's so good in those scenes. Yeah. um, That it, it definitely works. But, like... That's that's like the only instance in this movie where I was like I don't know if he needs to be so bumbling as he is in this
1: it's funny because that is not in a novelization. Then when they're in the fireplace and he and he says, "Oh, you gave the map to Brody," and then he gives that little thing. You know, he blend in everywhere, blah, blah blah blah. And then it's just a genius use of cuts. Because I remember in the theater, you know, you cut to him like in that market, and he's like, "Is anybody speak English?" <laughs> right? so, you know, it's like he it's speaks so twelve funny. languages. Yeah, yeah, you'll
2: blend in. You'll never find so awkward.
1: <laughs> you know, and it's <laughs> with it's, any, it's any just, luck, he's
2: already got the grip. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's just, Does like, anybody speak a, English? You know, it's ancient just so, Greek, anyone? <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't know where you know, and that doesn't come into later in the book uh, you know so it's like them playing up that comedy playing up the you know the little you know him running around and stuff like that it's just it's 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 funny and it works but i i, I agree with you a little bit i mean i don't think it's too over the top, but I do like him a little more serious in the scenes you see him serious than certainly in *Land* uh, late Raiders where he's serious. Because I guess originally before the father figure was conceived, they were looking at maybe that Marcus was kind of his elder mentor figure for Indiana, um, aside from the fedora, as they call the guy that he met um you know on the train at the beginning of the movie but when they brought the father and then they delegated his role Marcus Brody's role to being kind of more of a the bumbler where you know the, that's the, he got lost in his own museum eh? <laughs> you know and then it's the, the you know the comeback at the end of the movie which makes you laugh again like you're like crying like oh it's over now you know he got lost in his own museum so it's like you know it it works very well what's also um, what's
2: also nice about having the relationship between the father and son in this is okay like in the first movie Things have stakes, and you have like a little bit of the damsel in distress, even though the Karen Allen character uh, Marion is uh Karen Allen's character Marion is a very strong female character, very strong woman. But at the end of the day, there is a damsel in distress kind of aspect to it. But having like Sean Connery's character be the damsel in distress for this entire movie, it, it, it one is funny and it works, and on that level, but it's also it adds elements of stakes to all those scenes that um like he's his dad's trapped in the tank he's got to save his dad he's got to go find his dad his dad gets shot at the end and he and he has to find the grail because he has to save his father yeah it's a it adds this level of stakes that the other movies don't have for me like and then his
1: father at that point like coaching him through it even though they're not together that's you know
2: exactly you know that's you know, we, we can go into that, but that's kind of what I was hinting at before. Yeah. With, with like, you know, like, you did it, boy. It's he's like, no, you did it. Like, this, yeah. like they have to, they end up doing it together in the end, too. I don't know if we're ready to jump into the ending, but um, if you have anything to say before we, we kind of get there.
1: Uh, well, I mean, I was thinking this is also a segue to um, the Elsa character as well, because, again, in the script and in the novelization, they talk about, formationally one of the first things for some reason that brings indy's relationship a little closer and he gets kind of he feels more connected to his dad is that they mutually slept with the same woman <laughs> and that's something that i i bring it up because in the novelization they bring up a couple times that this oh since they shared this lady they both slept together with her that that, that it, it's something that that is you know that it ties them together a little bit more and i have a bigger appreciation for the Elsa character this go around because of reading the novelization and getting hints that in the novelization, you feel like her heart is kind of torn. There is an element of her that immediately falls in love with Indy. And there's an age gap in the movie. She's 21. She's supposed to be, I think, in her late 20s. But the actress was 21 and Indy's in his late 40s at the time. So there is kind of like that idea of... You know, you see a lot with him in the as the professor role, with the women who are just swooning all over him. And, uh, you know, they talk about that in the novelization as well, that the, he would got a lot of co-ed girls who would take his classes because of him. And he plays right into that. And that goes right back to Raiders, you know, where he's, okay, you know, this is a fringe benefit. And I know in these day, times, people, you know, this is not something to talk about, but, you know, this is like... Indy's down for whatever and if, if, <laughs> if the other woman, if, if the person is of age and, you know, and they're whatever. So the Elsa character, I find fascinating because, again, they make her a little bit more sympathetic in the novelization that she might have fallen for Indy. Uh, she has second thoughts, second um, thoughts about the entire situations are getting in Indy's thinking about her if she's having second thoughts or is she really thinking the way I I am? He's so mad at himself because he was taken by her, but he fell for her. And I, what makes her to me an interesting character is yes, Marianne was a damsel in distress. They fully, you know, kind of committed to that for temple, which I think is funny because that's the other spectrum of of the, of the, of the, of the counterweight or the swing. They swing in that direction. She's completely useless because she's so used to a cosmopolitan kind of lifestyle. Where in this movie, she Alice is kind of his equal, in a sense. So maybe that is more, for the Indiana Jones character, more arousing or more um, uh, uh, alluring about her is that not only is she very aesthetically pleasing, great looking, blah, 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 blah. She's got a head on her shoulders, but she's also interested specifically in what Indy's interested in. Yeah. She She's just as well-read and she's able to finish her sentences when they're in the catacombs and they're looking at stuff. So that might be something that, Excites Indy as well, and this gets to the point. Then by the end of the movie, Indy is so in the novelization, like destroyed by this relationship because he he almost blames himself. I know we're jumping ahead a little bit too, but it's like he almost you know it's he it really hurts him when this whole thing ends the way it ends and Elsa's killed the way she's killed. You know, so I wonder he takes this a little harder too than than the others. Although the other girls didn't die in the other movies as well.
2: Yeah, she uh, her name's. Actress's name is Allison Duty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's a duty. <laughs> but uh, and I can't off Irish the top of, girl.
1: I off the top of my head can't
2: think of anything else I've ever seen her in.
1: No, but but she was again 21 when she filmed this, so she must have been doing stuff, you know. Uh, and and then what was it? She 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 says in one of the making ofs, she just went and blindly auditioned in London. She was auditioning for stuff, not thinking in any way she would get this role. And uh they called her back, and yeah. they're like, "Yeah, you're right, yeah,
2: but I mean, obviously she's beautiful, yeah, um, and she and an Irish girl doing an Austrian accent very well, like she yeah, <laughs>
1: I never knew little, you know, I thought she was Austrian, but uh she
2: is really good in it, and the yeah. stuff that you're talking about, like her being torn." You know, obviously, in a in the novel, is in a book, what you can't do in a movie is you get a lot of like internal dialogue and stuff. So yeah, she, but I, she does do it. I mean, you do get that like she is torn by yeah.
1: It. You see it a little bit,
2: not just like not just her her love or her liking of Indiana Jones, but like you could see in a very blatant way when she's watching the Nazis burn books, like she's. There is like an internal struggle where she's like, she's part of this, but you can tell. But she's
1: using them for her, to get
2: her passion. That she's, she's torn about a lot of things with what
1: what she's doing. (laughs) And, um, yeah. And that's a good arc because near the end of that, then at the very end, when she finally gets the grail in her hand, it ends up being, that's what takes her over. That's her downfall. You know, she did everything because of this obsession with this specific piece of antiquity. And it's her downfall where she's blinded by it. She's, you know, even her, you know, she she was willing to go along with the Nazis because she knew that would be the only way to be achieve this. She went along with Indy and she fell for Indy, but at the same time, at the end, she chooses the grail over the relationship she could p- possibly have with Indy, maybe because it's her youth and her age and she's blinded by all these well, things. Well, she,
2: but... she's, I mean, I think she, th- does, I don't think she's thinks she's choosing it over him. She's like, no, you know, this, like we have it. Like, come with me. Like, but it's like the madness at the end.
1: You know, it's at the end where it's like almost like the uh, the what is it, Treasure Sarah Madre, where it's like you're blinded. Come on, and then like, they're, she's not listening to reason. Yeah, or they're like, listen, you ha- you can't. You know, you're not listening to us. But she's so, oh my God, we've achieved this. Head but over she heels. also
2: like she purposefully, intentionally chooses the wrong Grail for.
1: I was going to say that. So do you For think Walter it's Donovan. obvious, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because then, when I, when I was little, I never noticed it, I don't think. Yeah. You know, when I first saw it, the first viewing, you know, I didn't know that was going to happen to him. Say, And then when the revelations made what Indy says about this is a Carpenter's Cup, I was like, oh, yeah, it is a card, Yeah, because he was poor.
2: Of course it's not going to be this one of these <laughs> yeah, big elaborate. I, mean, I don't think you know it in
1: that moment.
2: You know, I don't think you know it when she picks it. Yeah, But I think after what happens... But there's a
1: look that she gives him. And then in the novelization, I think there's an extra look they cut out where it's like Indy (laughs) questions it and then she looks at Indy's questionable and then doesn't acknowledge it. So there is something up like, wow, this might not be... But she instantly says to Indy in the movie,
2: it won't be made out of gold.
1: Yes. So
2: So you know that she knew that that wasn't the grail. Yeah. So she's like... She's trying to make up for kind of like her sins. She's trying to, like, yeah, she's trying and, to redeem
1: herself in the, in the, at the end. And that's the best way to get rid of Donovan too. And even the scene when she, when you realize she turns with the Colonel Vogel, I think his name is. Yeah. And she runs up when he has the gun to her head in the castle. And then he throws her at Indian and she takes the book out of her hand. The way she walks back and gets on top of literally Vogel makes me, even leads me to believe Maybe she slept with Vogel too. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know if she slept with Donovan, but um, at least I feel like she got Vogel under control because she knows, you know what? I don't want him to be a threat to me. So maybe if I use my female charms on him, I can control him that way because they seem a little intimate. Like it's like, Oh, she's a fucking Nazi, you know? But then we learned she isn't really a Nazi in a sense. You know, she's going along because the, the ulterior motives, but she is choosing that life. So, I find it fascinating, and then, the, you know, going along far enough with Donovan. And Donovan's another character, too, where I didn't really think of it until they spell it out in the novelization. You know, as bad as he is, because, you know, I always got the impression, as you do, is that, you know, he's doing this because he wants to grail himself, and he wants to be able to have the life. But Indy makes a passing comment in the novelization, like... Not only is that bad for that reason, but it's also bad because of since Hitler's fascination with the occult, which was true in real life, where they went after the spear that that speared Christ and when he was crucified. And I forget the name of that spear, but that was something that Hitler was actually looking for in real life that we might have talked about Raiders that with having a guy like Donovan on uh, Hitler's payroll, so to speak, is very bad because he can he has the knowledge to show Hitler what how this stuff can be used and be done. And that's also very frightening, too, because yeah. he's helping the Third Reich, and then he can help him to an, an end, which is inconceivable, because he can show him how all this stuff works and how the most evil can be wrought over the world. So I found that fascinating. It's, oh, yeah, you know, Donovan's bad news all over, <laughs> all around. <laughs> bad news, Donovan. That's but Al, you know, Elsa, I thought was, you know, I just, I, I, I liked her a lot more in this viewing. Or yeah. I guess I appreciated her a yeah, lot well, more. Yeah, well,
2: she, yes, you know? I think you sympathize with her a little yeah. more. Yeah. Um, maybe because we're a little older and we can see yeah. the nuances and we, we kind of see, we we're able to recognize maybe a little more of that internal struggle than we did in 1989 when we
0: were like nine, yeah, 10. 10.
1: 10 yeah. <laughs> and it's also something like at the end. Indy's so torn like Jesus, you know. I, I blame myself because if she had just listened to me, I could have saved her, and we could have had this life. Of what have could have should have. And then when he almost gets lost, and we have that moment, he's like Jesus. I was just doing the exact same thing Elsa was doing, but my dad you know, was able to 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 get me out of it yeah. where I couldn't get Elsa out of it. You know. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, that's that 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 part uh, like a very a fantastic moment between father and son. Yeah. But a little heavy handed, my. Opinion in terms of like, but Indiana. we'll get we'll get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, um, but well, I will say it is. You know, we're looking at indie pushing forty. Um, yeah, I, it is. I think you can look at the relationship between him and Elsa like two ways. Like, one is it believable that he's like so kind of like in love with her the whole time, <laughs> or you can buy it. And just be like, look, she's young, she's
1: beautiful, and he's getting a little bit older. And um, I also believe, too, the other allure is like if he's been able to get what he wants physically from, say, coeds co-eds anytime. Yeah, because yeah. He's, and he has access to this population of young yeah. girls who are completely obsessed with him. The other level, um, to just reiterate, I think, is that she's just as competent with him. She's his equal on you know she yeah. has all this other stuff to, but then as well they can talk you know, to <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and then he thinks like where can this relationship lead you know yeah. if, if if this turned a different way and they ended up becoming husband and wife or partners or in any sense of the word either business partners or they became got into a relationship you know so I think that's the allure yeah it is real it is kind of uh, more realistic that they, they fall for each other because I think they do say in the novelization he's like you know he knows why she looks at him so quickly, and and he's like, I can see it. I'm, um, uh, paraphrasing, but it's like you know, I can see in her eyes that you know since we we shared a danger together, that she doesn't understand yeah. yet that I've done because this has happened to him before that this draws people together so much closer, you know. So well, since also, on this trip in the novel, we can get we can talk more specifically about the differences of
2: novelization, but yeah, there is like you know, when they pull up to the castle in the novelization, like, he has, like, a beat where he kind of, like, goes off and fantasizes about, like, the night they spent together. For yeah, you know, and
1: he's in her air and, and that has a lot where he's looking at her lips and he's looking... And then he says at some point, like, is she thinking of me, you know, when she leaves the castle? You know, he's like, and he doesn't want to think about that and that kind of a thing. But, the,
2: she, you know, going to the scene where, you know, she's being held at gunpoint by Vogel, um and, and Sean Connery's like... He's not gonna shoot her or just like you know. Like he's telling Indy like what what's really happening, but Indy's like one, doesn't have a, a relationship with his father that he trusts his father in any kind of real way. And two it has got the goggles on.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I remember as a kid, I didn't see it either. It was just I was like, "Oh, what's Dad talking about?" You know? it's, like, it's like, "Why is she? no, she's not." And then you know when you have the reveal, it's like, "Ah!" Oh. Like it, it, again, it just she's works. She's like, "I'm sorry," and he's like, no, "Yeah." She's like, "And he don't like, be." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, and he's all like, "He's like, you should have listened to your father." And he's like, nah. Yeah, and he's like, "Fuck, man!" And Vogue's like, "Yeah," you know, it's so good. Um yeah, and there's like you said, there's 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 differences in the novelization. I don't know. Um if we if we <laughs> go back and steer this, you you get that next scene after the opening with the steamship and I just want to say I loved in the novelization there's a whole opening of him uh getting on the steamship or he's on the steamship that night and they set up the storm and I love that like how bad cuz I always loved how cool that is. It, it just cuts to him on a ship in the middle of a storm and my god, the peril and you know yeah. and it's like you know he's about to get thrown off and And I like in the novelization, there was a whole setup to that where it's him going out that night. Uh, leaving his cabin because the storm's so bad, knowing the captain will be preoccupied, and this is the only time he can search the captain's quarters. And it, and then him having to go through the storm, like, oh, my God, like him having to get the sea legs and how bad it is. I love the whole yeah. buildup, and then he's double-crossed when he finds the, the the cross of Coronado there and leads him up to them, finding the guy with the Panama hat, and then when we get in the movie where it starts, okay. where he's so, like, you know.
2: Uh, yeah, let's take this detour on yeah. the novel to, to discuss the novelization. Well, Or, before, or do we go as we, we go get along? To, before we get to the end of the movie.
1: Do you think we, I mean, as we go? You know what I mean? Because I don't know. It'll be hard to just dump it all on them. So maybe as we go. Because
2: I'm, re- I mean, I'm at, I'm ready to talk about the up. finale of this baby and get out. Okay, okay, So okay. <laughs> we either dump it all of the, on everybody in one chunk after we talk about the finale of the movie or yeah. we dump it on everybody now and then steer our way back into the movie. Okay. And, and uh this is everybody's listening to. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're we're talking it out. But I think I think it's fine. Like, yeah, before we get to like the grand finale, which I think is the best third act of any Indiana Jones movie in my in my humble opinion, uh we'll take you down a the magical uh <laughs> trail of of things that are in the uh novelization, which I think at least some of which are relevant because I think I know for a fact that some of this stuff was even filmed and not put in the movie. Yeah,
1: uh, and I've looked, tr- I tried to look for deleted scenes of this movie, but I can't see any deleted scenes released. There's stills and stuff. So I think a lot of this, or maybe 50% of this stuff was shot. And then there's 30% of it that was just made up by the novel, the the author yeah. for the novels, but adds relevant backstory. And then there's another 20% where they maybe just didn't film it, but they planned to, and, but they just cut it and, when they got to production, yeah. I think.
2: So uh, before we uh, get back, before we steer this baby back into like the third act of the actual film, uh, the first big... I mean, there's a lot, obviously a lot of subtle things throughout the novelization that are different. But the first big thing is that there's an, there's an extra scene uh, with the circus train. Yeah. Uh, when Indy first gets on the circus train, he ends up like... And I guess he's coming through a window or something, and he falls into a, a train that's full of "quote unquote" circus freaks, like the carnies, the geeks. And he falls into like the cleavage of 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 the "quote unquote" fat lady of the, yeah. of the circus, and he ends up having a scene where he's a little bit kind of like I feel like tormented or teased, not in any kind of like malicious and like scary way, but. By by the freaks, and they're like kind of talking about him in front of him
1: because <laughs> well, they think he's you know like you you hear that story of he they think he's running off to get to, to, yeah. to, to running away from home and trying to you know join the circus yeah and he's like no I'm just passing through because I'm in a chase <laughs> which they don't believe at first and then they realize and they kind of help him get away a little bit get some yeah you know, when space Fedora between. when
2: Fedora shows up they end up kind of like stalling him a little bit to
1: give Indy a little bit of a head start yeah. Um, I forgotten about that. That, that occurs on the train, which I don't, I don't know they probably didn't film that, you know, or not like that. Yeah.
2: I mean, there's little things which we won't, which aren't worth going into, but just for instance, the kind of little things like right in the beginning when they show up in the, and the, and the heavier kid falls off the horse, you could like, we have the internal dialogue of Indy saying like, he doesn't really know the kid other than that. He knows the kid's name is whatever. Um, And he ends up kind of feeling bad for him. And so you get an instant kind of look at, like, the morality and the kindness that Indy actually
1: has. And While the other kids in the troop are kind of making fun of him.
2: Yeah. And then, so he ends up taking the kid when he hears the voices in the tunnel where they they branch off. The kid calls him Junior. And he's like, don't call me that. Call me Indiana. Um, But for the sake of the movie, like... Dion was talking about at the beginning four hours ago that like the reveal of thinking that fedora is Indiana Jones, but then discovering that river Phoenix is actually in Indiana Jones. Like that gets kind of rude. That obviously can't happen in, yeah. in the novelization. Um, the next big one is what Dion was talking about on the boat, which is we get like the whole lead in of like how he finds out that the cross is on the boat He's a lot of talk about that and how he ends up on the boat, then him on the boat, then him getting to the captain's quarters to get to the safe where the where it's being held. Yeah, all that
1: is thought in his head the backstory of him trying to go from his cabin in the storm to the captain's thing, crossing the deck during the storm and how bad the storm is. Really setting up the the stakes there of the of the being on one of these steam trains these tramp freighters at the time and going in there and breaking into the safe and it working and then it being a complete double cross and he was set up because it was too easy and Panama Hats got him there to get rid of him and even how Panama because Panama Hats a little bigger in this too Panama Hat guy uh is connected to you know he he, he's made it his Indy's made it his lifelong quest to find this cross because his dad didn't believe him back then so no matter what he's going to prove that this thing's real and he's going to get it he's been searching it all his life. It was such a turning point to maybe get him on the road to become an archaeologist. So he's had Panama hat in his life all this time in his head and then he finally sees him again after all these years and... We find out he's, he knows about Panama Hat. Panama Hat lost his money in the Depression, and then now he's selling art pieces, and he thinks that he's going to get the cross. There's plausible ways of why he believes that the cross is going to be on the ship. And then it turns out later on in the novelization, you learn that it's brought up, is, was Donovan the one who hired Panama Hat to get Indy on the boat purposely to get rid of Indy so that they wouldn't have to worry about Indy when they're using the father to go after the uh, 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 grail? You know, I didn't
2: really think about it until you just said it, like, um, we know from this movie that uh, Henry Jones, uh, Indy's father's kind of, like, professional obsession and life obsession has been the Holy Grail this whole time. We know that from Raiders of the Lost Ark that Abner Ravenwood's kind of obsession was the Ark of the Covenant. And... We know. I always thought like it just like this scene. These scenes are about showing just like the stick-to-itiveness of Indiana Jones, and but in a way like the, the Cross of Coronado has been his obsession. For his, for his yeah. And, like up till this point, the Cross of Coronado has been his Holy Grail uh for his father which i didn't really kind of put two and two together till you were just kind of talking about it
1: and it ends up saving his life too because we have the whole scene then of what happens that we see in the movie of the fight on the ship and then the ship blows up and then to buttonhole it uh at the end of that scene a freighter nearby here sees the explosion comes to investigate and he has the cross in his hand and because it's this gold cross, when they shine the light, it saves his life because they see the cross in his hand. Like, it's, it's a, you know, it, it reflects. Yeah, so in the darkness of this crazy storm, you know, it saves his life. So it's, I like how all these things are put into, to, and they all kind of play into each other. And then people have said that that's really the only thing he is ever, is ever, ever able to save or bring back because he loses the ark. He loses the, the stones and temple. And then now, with this, the cross is this, the one thing, you know, that you write his obsession. He's able to bring back to his university and he gives to Brody, and they've been funding him, you know. And uh, once he realizes that his dad, uh, is taken when he has to go back and ask for extra leave and they don't want to give him extra. You know, he's like, hey, you just got back. Why are you asking for extra leave? He tells the Dean it's because my dad's missing. And they give a little, another story too about the Dean. You know, this normally, this wouldn't be, thought of like they wouldn't let him do it. But since the Dean knew his dad and his dad saved him as a youth, when his dad was a professor at college, the Dean was in school, somebody made the guy look like an asshole, the Dean. But then the father, Henry Jones came in and saved the day and said, no, the kid's right. This, this antiquity is a, is fake. It's not real. And because of that day, the Dean was able to not be kicked out of school and became a Dean. So now to help Indy out, he says, sure. You know, you take the leave because it is because of your father. You know, and there's an extended scene when they go to get greet Donovan. He gets picked up in the car. He's taken down to Fifth Avenue. Donovan's apartment overlooks Central Park and Fifth Avenue. And there's the whole the cocktail scene, which I may I think they might have filmed, where he gets brought into the apartment and then he's looking around that room first before Donovan makes his entrance. You know, and he has little, and then you get a little backstory of who Donovan is. He's a philanthropist that supports the university there and all that kind of a thing. You know, so I like the little buildup of the Donovan character because again, when I was little, I never thought of Donovan being two-faced until you find you see him at the castle it's like, oh you know it's like i believed he was just there you know the guy the rich guy sending yeah. him on a mission well it is weird that donovan would tell him his,
2: his departing words would be don't trust anybody yeah i know i know if he was the bad guy i know it went over my head as a kid <laughs> i mean it, like it's not something the bad guy would say to yeah hero. it's
1: true <laughs> and then there's a deleted scene where on the way from New York leaving, going across to Europe, you know, we have the montage with the map and the classic, you know, the, the, the red line of going of the progress of where they're going. But you see him looking at the novel, uh, at the getting himself familiarized with the diary because he got the diary in the mail. So there's a whole scene in the novelization about... Him and Marcus Brody talking about the the, the Grail, the Grail being the different – the steps of the Grail, what the Grail means, the the society that was looking after the Grail, the the Crusades. Uh, It's almost uh, akin to like Freemasonry where there's different levels of the Grail and and of the knowledge of stuff. And then it brings – this is something prior to the cast you were asking me about, we were talking about – Indy has this memory when he was little, I guess when he turned 18 or so, he went to go have this vision quest where he went to go meet. He met a Navajo Indian and he went uh, up a mountain. And I think it's alluding to that he took peyote to go have this vision quest. And he had to go up there for two days. And the Indian said to him, you know, to find yourself, you go up there, do this fast don't eat or drink for as long as you can for two days and the first animal you see is going to be your spiritual animal indy does this for two days is about to abandon it because he's so thirsty and hungry turns and he sees an eagle and that's him fulfilling his quest and he has this vision quest and it survives and it's an eagle and he comes down to the indian indians like yes you know that's that's your spiritual animal you're an eagle and this is all said in that little montage of them getting to europe to you know where they're leading to venice you know Come, no. I don't know how you'd film all that, but it was completely <laughs> dropped, but it becomes a, a theme in the book.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, you know, that's another instance that we were talking about earlier where, you know, having it, having this one being about primarily about Indy's past made a lot of sense. When you think about how fleshed out Lucas had Indy's background. Yeah. In his head. And this is the kind of stuff that Lucas had in those discussions with Lawrence Kasdan about the the original movie, um, all of these kinds of things that Indy had experienced that kind of made him the Indiana Jones that we see in writers of the Lost Ark. I also think it's interesting because, uh, for some reason, I mean, for very obvious reasons, we wanted to talk about Young Indiana Jones Chronicles because of the River Phoenix scene, but and because of the last. The Fugitive podcast we talked about the specific TV movie of y- Young Indiana Jones and the Mystery of the Blues, but the the bookends of that with Harrison Ford are with a Native American, like his his oh yeah his quest in in those bookends is to like retrieve this like piece this pipe this ancient like Native American pipe in Wyoming th- that has been stolen. Uh, and they're trying to
1: get it back for the for like the
2: tribe. Of, uh, so
1: you wonder if that's the because it's an elderly <laughs> it's an elderly elderly Indian gentleman, Native American. You wonder if that's the Navajo. Twenty years before, I'm just, that, you know, I'm just making yeah. This I'm out there. <laughs> yeah, as we're, as we're talking, like we were talking about it earlier, like that could be a fitting connection. Like this is, and then you know this leads to too that the the novelization was so popular it got on the the New York Times bestseller list, and that's rare for a novelization, and because of that uh, they gave the author Rob McGregor, he went out and did like three or four or five other like kind of canon novelizations of Indiana Jones pre Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I think's popularity begot the idea of doing a young Indiana Jones Chronicles on TV. So, uh, I I find that fascinating. And then I was thinking too, it's just like reading the novelization to me. It was like, can you imagine a world where we didn't have movies and like when the movie was coming out was the book release and then everyone at the same time is grabbing the book and reading yeah. through it and at the same time like, you know, yeah. all getting to this part or that part because I found it so interesting and enthralling and it was a really good read. So um,
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it suffers from the kinds of things that you would expect from such a an adventure novel which is like, yeah. you know, Describing a fight is like it's
1: hard. That's and that's hard (laughs) to do to keep it relevant and you know and get get, having your bearings and understanding and all that and keeping it exciting and moving forward. It also Um,
2: bounces back and forth, which I don't read a whole lot of narrative Uh, like uh, you know I I read more like biographies and and stuff like that. So uh, maybe it's more common than I know, but it jumps from like third person to first person, like back like from line to line sometimes. Like yeah. It's like he feels this way about it and then you have like
1: Indy thinking first person about that thing.
2: Man, <laughs> yeah, boy, it does suck. You know, yeah. and you're
1: like, "Oh, that's Indy saying that. That's yeah. not the author saying Yeah, cuz it, that's not, not in quotes the... because he's yeah.
2: not saying it. I mean, he's thinking it to himself.
1: So. It might be like in italics, but it's yeah. not. Yeah. Uh it makes me definitely want to go read the other ones cuz if they're certainly canon or they're, you know, they're the other f- books he did because that'll be cool. Um but yeah, there's a lot you know, then moving forward, there's a th- lot. There's, there's a lot. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, they go to Venice. There's more. Um. The whole stamp scene in Venice is not in the novelization. That's, you could tell that's something they probably just came up with on set where he was trying to break a hole in the floor. And it's very, I mean, I remember laughing my ass off in the theater with the, it's yeah. brilliant Spielberg. It's still,
2: still funny. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, about him trying to stamp the books, them going down into the the, the thing, and then the whole boat fight. It's it's funny too. In the boat fight, I was you know in the book they make it a point that the that the guy when they get near the propeller the other guy gets thrown off and gets cut up by the by the uh, propeller. But in the movie they just throw him in the water and they forget about him. And then he's like, "Where is he?" I'm like, "What about?" And they just leave. I'm like, "You're not going to remember your guys?" Like, "Hey, I'm still here." (laughs) You know, it's like you know the the, and and I way home. Yeah, I know. Okay, I'll I'll find it. You know, and it's funny. It makes you think about you think about the, the dedication of a thousand years ago. And there's this still the secret society that are branding their chests it's like you think about how many people are in the secret society and if they're having second thoughts like should i keep doing this because it's been 500 years and <laughs> obviously there's not you know yeah there's gotta have been some sons that were like dad no it's I don't like i want to be in the family business. yeah so and i wonder how many of those secret societies there are There's they're an arc secret society there's there are all these different you know very the spear of, of you know all these different secret societies but um you know, and then it, when they get back from the boat chase, they go out to the museum, Marcus and them, to go buy some time, and that's when their how their their apartments are raided and ransacked. And it never occurred to me that it was Elsa. I mean, he does say it in the movie later on, but I never really got the throwaway line, that it was Elsa ransacking her apart his apartment and her apartment to make it look convincing because she's looking for the map. Because I did think about that this time, like when she was in the bathroom with the record player, the Victrola really loud. It's like, Jesus, her place is completely like torn apart. She <laughs> didn't hear that, you know, how long and, they must've been in there.
2: And she's, she did it while he's just like hanging out with Margaret in Marcus's room, you know, like, yeah. right
1: across the hall, at least in the movie, in the, you know, it's, they came back and then that was it that, that, you know, it was happening when in their absence, you know, when they, they went to go take in the day because they were so exhausted. Uh, and then, like you said, when they go to, to the, to the castle, there's a little, there's more of an opening scene of them driving up and all that. And more interaction with the Butler, which I think was all shot. You know, there's actually where he knocks the butler out, and he has to go put the he he get there's you could find a still online of him with the butler over his shoulder, then putting him somewhere. And the butler, I think that's pretty famously now that he says Jesse Owens instead of Mickey Mouse. But they thought that the audiences wouldn't understand that's a reference to the runner who beat in the 36 Olympics the German, I forget the guy's name in in the in you know the the Aryan who was supposed to be you know the superior race Jesse Owens beat him. So they put in Mickey Mouse, you know, and... Yeah. And uh, almost, you can tell this time, it's
2: probably even 80-yard.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. so. I think they shot at saying Jesse Owens, and then they, they thought they were going to say... There was another name they said, that, like Mae West, but then they didn't think, you know, so... And then they make a point, too. People are like, well, you know, why would this butler in 1938 know who Mickey Mouse is? You know, and... and but... It, it makes the jokes we laughed we understand it and then that line nazis i hate these guys this isn't in the novelization so i wonder if that's something that came up on the spot or that's something from sean connery or tom stoppard um you know and then there's there's a bigger scene when they're tied up in the in the when they meet donovan they realize donovan's turn that's longer in the novelization there's a, a little more revelations in that too and that's where it's alluded to where uh Harrison or Indiana Jones's character makes the idea that maybe the Panama hot guy was hired by Donovan. That's where that's put together to get him off the trail with the cross. Um and I guess as you go, the blimp scene is different, right? The whole opening scene with the blimp. There's they give you a whole lot more tension when they're trying to get out of Germany. Uh where uh, it's almost like a Hitchcock scene, like they're waiting in line and they're going to get caught any second because the Nazis are around looking for them. So they get in the quickest line to buy a ticket to get anywhere. And that's when they don't realize they're buying a ticket on the Zeppelin, you know, yeah. and then. Well, the way that's that, that scene is so that's the here's an example of when I talk about how
2: Spielberg is kind of like a master of the, you know, he's fluent in the language of cinema. When we cut to that shot, we see two guys with the papers in front. Yes. And it's an audience, at least I do. I've always thought, like, when I mean, you see that shot, and you think it's the two of them. Of course. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see Indiana Jones come walking in, and then the guy with his back to the camera turns around and it's so iconic. Like, that, brilliant. it's a brilliant joke. Yeah. But it's understanding the language of cinema. It's understanding how people will perceive an image Yeah, when you show it to them. Like, just, it's a subtle thing. It's an easy thing. But, you know, nine directors out of 10, out of 20, out of 50, out of 100 would not have said, like, let's do this. Like, yeah. this this will be kind of not ha-ha funny, but will be kind of funny. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like, it's just, it's brilliant. The stuff on the, on the Zeppelin itself, I think that, like, that's the stuff that I definitely think was shot. I think I've seen stills
1: of the... Max Roach. Yeah, the, stu- the, the stunt man who's been in the first and second one. He played the yeah. bald guy in the Raiders. And, and he fights re- by the plane and
2: in the. So there's this whole scene on the on the zeppelin, um, leading up to uh, the no ticket line, where he sees the Vogels there, and he tries to go, and he goes like into some other room, which is for the. We kind of see him take the guy in the movie. At back behind things Indy. And come out in, And then he comes out In the uniform But there's a whole scene That happens in that back area And uh, And even kind of After the no ticket thing too There's some stuff That I actually thought Was genuinely funny um, Because there's a scene After the fact Where uh, There's another After he's thrown Vogel off And he said no ticket And everybody shows him The ticket He goes back Backstage again, he goes back into that into that area, and there's another Nazi, like one Nazi left over, and uh, so he starts saying to the guy, uh, "Can I have your ticket?" And a, a pe- and a passenger walks by who saw the no ticket lo- line happen. Yeah, <laughs> and the and the Nazi's like, "I don't, we don't need a ticket," and uh, and the guy walking by says like, "Oh, I feel bad for you," or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> like knowing that he's just going to get thrown off the Zeppelin, but he ends up knocking that guy out and um, putting him in some like storage area all tied up. And that's where he sees the transmitter, which is referred to in the, in the movie where he says, I, when they start to turn around. I don't tell these stories as well as you do in the, novel, the novelization the story. I'm jumping around. But he does. He says to his dad in the movie, when they start to turn around, he's like, I thought they, it would have taken longer for them to notice that the radio was down.
1: Because, they, yeah, they broke the wires. They, they broke the transmitter so, so they we, wouldn't be able to transmit.
2: But we see him in the, in the novelization, we see him see the transmitter and pull the wires out.
1: Yeah. And then there's a whole thing with this flying ace who you see get on. Uh, he's a World War One flying ace and he's getting drunk in the background when they're talking uh, Indy and his dad and he's regaling everyone with his war stories of being a flying ace in World War One. and people are buying him drinks so he's getting drunker at the time uh, as he's telling these stories and then he's drafted by the Nazis when they say there's spies aboard anybody want to help and he's the only guy that goes and gets up to help them so at the scene when there's a chase of them running after them to get on the biplane to leave um, in this you don't see it in the final thing. I was looking for the second plane, but evidently there's two biplanes on the Zeppelin. And they get into one, and they t- and he, Indy starts his engine, takes off. The Flying Ace and our Max Roach character, the guy who's been in all three movies, who Indy always gets into fights with, gets on in with the guy. And the Flying Ace is so drunk, the middle-aged guy, he doesn't turn the engine on. He forgets before he detaches. So, of course, since he doesn't turn the engine on it and it detaches it goes into a wild spin and just crashes because they can't turn the engine on and pull out of that so that's all in the thing and i guess they must have filmed that or 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 i feel like they did film it maybe they didn't complete it or go into post-production with the effects that they would have needed to to finish all that so that is left on the uh the editing room floor um and then they have the whole Schmidt fight, which is kind of the same. Um, and jumping back, like, too, not in the novelization, is that when they get out of the castle, that whole scene with them on the bikes with the sidecar, yeah. they added that because in post they like they thought the rough cut had looked a little too boring, so they wanted to add a chase. Yeah. So that was added in the late stages. So I find that, because that's a great scene. I always found that to be very cool with them on the bikes and yeah, stuff Yeah, like yeah, I mean, that's you an know?
2: instance, like you said. I mean, even Spielberg has said, like, when we we realized that we needed one more action scene.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll throw that on.
2: And so they kind of, it was
1: a perfect place to insert the fantastic
2: action scene, which is the, the motorcycle
1: chase. And it's pretty funny when I'm watching this viewing of it, like when he goes by and he, he grabs the flagpole to turn into like kind of a, uh, to what do you call, jousting. It's like, what is he, like a superhero? He just rips it <laughs> off. You realize this time around it's yeah, like, Yeah, it doesn't oh. rip his arm out of his Yeah, because he, like he just grabs a wooden flagpole and takes it off, you know. So then progressing, you know, but then we get that's to. that's
2: also a scene where we get a lot of fantastic comedic looks. You know, it's like Harrison yeah, yeah. Every time he kind of like foils one of the Nazis, he kind of, he's giddy with like excitement and like sense of accomplishment. and He looks at his dad for like
1: approval and his dad just like looks at him either. It rolls the, his yeah, eyes. Yeah. Like checks his watch. Yeah. It's, just, it's <laughs> like, you're not even getting the appreciation to get him getting him out of these there situations.
2: But there are moments in the movie, which I never, I don't know if I've ever noticed before where there are moments where like, where Indy doesn't look for his dad's approval, where you see that you see that his dad approves. Yeah, you see that Sean Connery smiles or is like in the, the same way that I said I had like I kind of got teary. I got teared up when you see that Indy looks at his father after the, the seagull scene. You have little moments of that spread throughout these action scenes where you see Sean Connery's character kind of in awe of his son. They're just like very quick flashes of a smile. Which is the thing that Indy keeps looking at him for. But he never gives it to him. But you see that behind the scenes, behind Indy's back, you see that he does... He is kind of in awe of what his son has become and how resilient and uh, and everything that Indy ha- is. And yeah. It's a very nice little touch and something I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if, ever no- if I've ever noticed before, but you do see like... Sean Connery's Henry Jones's wonder in what his son does and what he become every now and then, even though he never shows it to him until the end.
1: Yeah, and then on the blimp too, you have when they leave the table um, a little more back and forth where uh, Henry forgets the the diary on the table, so he has to go back out into the thing when the Nazis are there. So there's there's stuff here or there that's added, and then you know when they get they get off, they go through the whole spitfire sequence and, and then the seagulls on the shore and that works. And we talked about that, how great that moment is at the end when he's able to defeat the, the strafing uh, fighter, you know, they're out of bullets. What are we going to do now? And he's able to clear the day because he uses the seagulls. They go to, they go to Germany, uh, to go after the grail or to go after the diary. And we get to this sequence where they're at the, uh, book burning event. And, uh, in one of the versions of the script, in a novelization, you have what's her face, the documentarian um, uh, Lenny. Braun. Uh, no, she's Ava oh, Braun's Hitler's yeah, wife, um, Lenny. Yeah, who did Triumph of Will? She and I think that's a brilliant thing to have in. But you don't, I don't, you know, I don't think there's any. You don't see it maybe unless there's a long shot in the Was in it surviving Stahl. In the movie. It's a Stalin. Steen? Yeah. <laughs> You have her there shooting <laughs> step. You have her. You have her um, shooting that sequence, and that's true. People who are f- film buffs or whatever will know who she is, and she's a very famous documentarian who is then blacklisted for her views and helping—not helping, but shooting those films—and then. Later, when we were in film school, people's image of her kind of reversed because they're like, ah, you know, she was forced to do it because of where she was at the time and you should give her her respect because she's the first woman doing all this stuff. But I liked that she was in it. And then there's more of the play between her when Andy finds... Uh, Elsa all I have to do is squeeze all I have to do is scream you know like you know it's the, the back and forth she does miss him she loves him he's looking at it he's thinking of that night again like you said you know uh, of of um, you know them together and he, he can't think of that now her lips and how they're pursed he's like he's got like, Yeah, he's like I can't be thinking of these things right now <laughs> you know and then they get away and they you know they bump into Hitler and then that's the funny thing too is because it's another scene that's reminiscent of Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's when he gets off the sub in Raiders of the Lost Ark near the end of the movie and that guy comes and the the superior is yelling at him in German what are you doing here and he kind of rolls his eyes and he knocks the guy out and he gets his clothes that's what happens at the end after he signs the book with Hitler as he's walking away a superior comes up to him cuz he's in that outfit and the superior's like what are you doing here why don't you get out of here why are you you know you why aren't you at your post and uh Indy rolls his eyes, knocks the guy out when no one's seeing him. He takes his clothes, and that's in the next scene when they're leaving in the blimp. That's how he's in the the attire he's in because he he stole it off of that guy, you know? Yeah, in the movie, it just kind of plays
2: off, like... They're just there. ...at the book burning. Like, you see him pull drag feet behind a car...
1: Yeah, he gets the initial and then outfit. he walks out
2: instantly, like like, yeah. like Superman. He takes the guy's clothes off, but I guess he already had it on that outfit yeah. on. By the time. And it's
1: funny; it's a running gag. Like nothing ever fits right. So like when he so like either the stuff's too tight, like that, or the one when he's the waiter's outfit, or in the scene in the movie, it's not explained. He beats a heavier guy up and gets the outfit that he gets onto the blimp in. So then like his father's like, "What well, if you if you got somebody who fit a little better? You know, like you know, we yeah, yeah. wouldn't look like an asshole. <laughs> you know, so." um as we go down, <laughs> we finish out the novelization stuff. Oh, then he does say to her, what did she say in her sleep? And uh, um, he says, "What you know, she talks in her sleep. And he's like, what did she say? And, and Henry reveals she said Mein Fuhrer in her, sli- in her sleep. And, he's like, and that was the tell. And then he's like, well, that's pretty conclusive. <laughs> yeah, he's like, fuck. Um, and then there's not that much as the movie winds down. The whole sequence of they name the dog Indiana that comes when the tank goes over, the, the that whole exchange happens when the tank goes over the side of the mountain. It's not at the very, very end, that exchange. Uh, I do got to say I love that whole sequence with the tank as a kid man having a world war one tank as awesome as that looking and they recreated it and you could tell when they recreated it, they made it the inside a little bigger to be able to have the action play because it's like huge inside and all that stuff. But I find that so awesome with the horse and him running up and that whole sequence and them on top of the tank and using the whip and, you know, putting the rock in it or, you know, with the gun and the, the, the caliber of the gun going through four guys, you know, it's like all that stuff works great. And then, you know, Marcus and Indy in the tank or the whole point with like, you know, dad, we're well out of range and they fucking blow up his car. It's Like that's my car to my brother-in-law. I mean, you I know. know it's
2: fun. It's funny when he shoots and it goes through four guys, but like now I can't help, but like, think how fucked up that is because you know that that's not what the, the the nazis did to the jews to save bullets
1: yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: like i can't help but think
1: that in that book. yeah yeah i can I, I can go through a whole thing because i did a have a lot of research for my book reading about all that and how they went from one level to the other because it was just a waste of a bullet they looked at or they realized they couldn't have the soldiers doing this because it was bad morale so that's what led to like Let's put them all on the back of a truck and drive around and have the f- carbonation going and kill them that way. Then that took too long and that begot. Then yeah. you know, anyway. But anyway, uh, we anyway. digress. <laughs> we <We'll laughs> we'll digress. The morbid, yeah, very uh, morbid digressions of Nazi Germany. Yeah. And then, um, but
2: yeah, so absolutely the tank scene,
1: awesome. Among well,
2: among the great action sequences, not just of the series, but of cinema. Yeah, I think, yeah, like how it's was done when he when Indiana leaps from the horse onto the Tank, yeah. Like it's like come on, uh, like now that would just be that would be like CGI, a, a CGI Indian <laughs> jumping up to a tank. Yeah, going back to the beginning, such a great sequence. But again, the stakes are
1: yeah, you know, are are high. You have like three different sequence. things going on at once, and it's great. You know, you have all this stuff. You have Marcus is in the tank. He father's in the tank. Got to get him out of the tank. Got to stay alive. Got to fight off all these people when they kill the tank driver. The, now it's heading blindly off a cliff, or when he's going to get. And then Marcus saves his life because, you know, when I was little, that was one thing I realized too when he falls over the side, how does his strap get caught? They never explain how a strap gets caught or yeah. how he gets off of that. But if Marcus didn't have the gun get, shoot off and hit the driver and the driver would fall and it turn, yeah. it's almost like force majeure, the unforeseeable act of God and law. Indy would have been the end of the movie. Indy gets squashed when they hit the side of the thing, and then that's the end of it. You know, but it's just a, it's a, it's, you know, they had God on their side, or they had luck on their side that that happened. Um, and then one other thing, too, I alluded to, too, was they didn't, they don't cut back to Marcus, like I said, in the movie of of him. They He's out of a chunk of it. Uh, but you do later on when they get to wherever they are, I forget what town they're in, when you have the sequences a little bigger when uh, Sala meets Marcus in the back and forth, uh, you know, and then he gets kidnapped and Salah's like, ah, shit, you know, the same way Miriam got kidnapped and Raiders of the Lost Ark up the truck and the truck shots and goes away. Um, you have the scene, which we don't have in the movie of them getting to town on the train after they, they made it, you know, after the biplane accident and they get off and Salah greets him at the train station, father of Indy. And it's, and then they get into the car and in the movie, they just cut to them in the car driving. They're like, Marcus has been captured. And he's like, drive slower, drive slower. And then they realize, oh, Marcus has been captured. They have the diary, drive faster, drive faster, you know. Um, to the lat, get into the last sequence of them, you know, finding the tank and knowing where they're going. And then the whole tank spectacle sequence like that. Uh, and then, and then, um, you know, I remember how amazing that was him going over the side and you're like, Oh my God, didn't he die? Yeah. And he's like, I lost, I thought I lost your boy. I remember well, that yeah. being so heartfelt That's in movie theater, you know, scene. you know, and his and in his hat, you know, it, the mythic mythos of the hat, it just, the wind brings it back to him and he's able to put it on cuz he lost it before it's like that's done so well all that stuff. In Vogel's demise of him on the tank having that l- stop motion look of like the end of RoboCop when the guy falls out of the building, you know. Yeah. Well him. I
2: mean, well really that moment is the moment that you know like yes, they still have to go after the grail, but it's the moment that both of them have kind of been looking for. The bond. Yeah, that yeah. that moment. it's okay. their yeah. It's like it the this, climax of that that quest is that moment when yeah. Sean Connery realizes like all the I wasted all this fucking time. Yeah. If I had five minutes, I could have told him
1: <laughs> yeah. what I
2: what I should have told him. And Indy gets what he's been longing for his entire life, which is like a hug. Yeah. And his dad's attention. Um uh, so
1: and everything after that... that is like All right, now let's cake. go save yeah. the world. <laughs> let's finish this. One more <laughs> one more ride of wide Earp as Immortals. Um, and maybe that's the reason why they had that dialogue originally in that scene of him. We named the dog Indiana because that was such a big, pinnacle scene there at the time. And then the end of the movie, like you said, let's get to the finale there. I think we covered... Um, and now, uh, the exciting th-
2: conclusion <laughs> of <laughs> the last Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade,
1: starring Harrison Ford and Sean Connery. Dun-dun-dun! Um we have the we have the ending and we have the you know the, the different he has to go through the different uh quests the three different challenges uh it is funny i was on this viewing i was watching i was thinking like my god he figures the first quest out neil Pendant man neil before god neil not only is he neil you have to roll too yeah, I was so like I'm does a so Pendant <laughs> man also have to flip is yeah <laughs> because flip if he didn't out. know he didn't do that little martial arts roll he would have got <laughs> cut right in half, and it's like, oh, man, I kneeled. I, I, did, I didn't know that was coming on. I did.
2: I thought that, too. Like, Penitent Man kne- kneels before God. You gotta kneel.
1: And you gotta roll. <laughs> and then he,
2: and, and he also gotta roll. Yeah, you gotta freaking, Penitent you man, know. also rolls before God. So, <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> <laughs> he also rolls before God. It's also, like, it's so crazy that that's the first one, because that's by far, like, the scariest and, like, cre- creepiest of them. It's yeah. like, if you can get by this one, you're home free. Yeah, like don't you're so bad. Yeah. But okay, so this scene again, having his dad involved is where the uh the stakes kinda come in. His, Indy won't there's nothing you could do for Indy to go find the grail for these assholes.
1: No there's no need. Except for they shoot his dad. And, yeah.
2: you know, I feel like in Raiders of the Lost Ark, he's a, bit, he's a little more of a skeptic of
1: Certainly, the yeah. supernatural.
2: Even though yeah. he's, even though, if you're going to go in chronological order, he's already seen the crap that happened in Temple of <laughs> Yeah. But at this point, Indy is a little more willing to go along with, like, the mysticism of what the Grail could hold. Because even though he didn't see what happened to the Ark... With the arc, because he had his eyes closed, when he opened
1: them, all the Nazis were dead. So he knows something happened, and they were gone. And I think we get a hint of that at the beginning of the lecture at college. What he's writing on the board to all the students, he was like, it, "Believe what is? It? I, I don't remember what he says specifically, but he's like, you know, no matter what you read or see, believe truth. You know, what you you have to understand the truth of it all. So seeing is believing, is sort of so you can read, and you may not have faith, but it's based in fact, Oh, it is say it's based in fact and it underlines fact. So I think you could, one can allude to, he's saying like, yeah, you may not believe in this stuff, but if you come across it and in this situation, it happens or it works, you, you can't try to explain it away with how, you know, there's science that we don't understand yet or whatever powers beyond our forces that we don't still understand. If you see it happen in front of you and it's fact, you have to just go along with it and realize there's other things. It's just We don't understand everything in this universe.
2: So, whereas, you know, maybe Indy of Raiders of the Lost Ark Age would not believe, and more of this is actually in the novel of, like, what his dad spiel about, you know, I'm alive because I believed in the power of the girl, yada, yada, yada. But barring all that stuff, you know, Indy realizes that maybe... You know, it's 1938 or whatever, and and modern medicine is not as good as it as it as it will become. And they're in the middle of the desert, like even though it's just a shot to the gut, and as we know from Reservoir Dogs, that hurts really bad. But
1: yeah, but, along with the kneecap.
2: But uh, you 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 don't necessarily have to die from it. But in this case, uh, Henry is is going to die from this wound, and his yeah. his only hope is that if. Indy is able to recover the grail. Now, what I don't think I ever really thought about until this viewing is that this is like going back to what what, what we were talking about with um, the tomb of the whole like they're doing this together. It's really uh it's a bit, it's, it's it's what this scene is all about. But it's also kind of tragic in a way because this is, this has been Henry Jones's life's work and he can't experience it.
1: He has to sit it out.
2: He kind of has to sit it. He's sidelined for all of it. Yeah.
1: But he's there still going in spirit. Like he's almost having a vision quest of his own.
2: Yeah. Like he's with (laughs) commenting and they still do it together. And he,
1: he is kind of, he's there in spirit. When the in Latin alphabet of drove begins with an I J. Oh dear. You know, it's like he's, you know, it's, it's all.
2: <laughs> yeah. And, um, but in a way it's like this, it is kind of like this crazy metaphor for like, that's what, like, that's what life is, you know, like you as a child, like you kind of take up the mantle of like where your parents kind of leave off. Right. I mean, you
1: take the knowledge (laughs) that they had and then you kind of use it. Yeah. And you take, you take it on
2: onto your own life and your own adventures. And, and you know, every parent's hope, at least you hope every parent's hope is that like the children will get to do the things that I never got to do. Yeah. Like I have a four, I've given them a life and I've given them the skills and hopefully they'll surpass me
1: yeah have a better life than i was able to have
2: and or, all that is kind of like encompassed in this weird little scene yeah. <laughs> about the holy
1: grail yeah he's doing he's using the knowledge attained by his dad to then physically exert you know and get through the things and make sense out of the clues and the patterns and stuff and uh the 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 second one with the in the book and in the i had the comic book version of this there was like f- five at Marvel run, I think it was Marvel DC adaptation of this, I only had like two and three, which stunk, so all I had was like the Venice comic and I had like the, you know, I didn't have the end so I was like, oh man, so it's like, the, it's the most, like, it's probably the slowest one is the Venice Catacombs comic you know? like, Yeah, like
2: the, whole, the dialogue-driven Yeah,
1: comic. I, that, so... But originally, in the comic book version, they show this, too, is when he, in in the novelization, when he puts his foot through, it's supposed to be a big tarantula supposed to come out. And I think they filmed it, and it didn't didn't look well, so then they just added it in post-production, which I like much better. He falls through. And he's lucky that nothing around him kind of breaks away he would have just, you know, all the other things. the the rest of them didn't also top. Yeah, he's holding there. But he gets through that one, and then this third one where he gets there, and it's that leap of faith. In the novelization, again, he has this flashback and when he was a 10-year-old and his dad got him a bow and arrow set and his dad said, you're going to stand here all day, all day and you're going to shoot a bullseye and I want you to fake it and when you do it, I want you to come in. And then he did it all day, couldn't do it. His dad came out at the end of the day and his dad's like, did you do it? He's like, no, I can't, I can't do it. And his dad's like, you have to believe, son, you have to try believe. And then... Indy said, I'm, you know, you have to say, it's one of those things. Believe and it, it'll come to fruition. And he made himself believe, 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 and he shot it and he got the bullseye at the end of the day. And that's what he, then he remembers that life lesson his father taught him, one of the most important or only life lessons in that respect. And that's what he says. He have to believe, he believes, he takes the step. And that's how he's able to realize that it's just a kind of what, forced perspective or, for, you know, that the, the, the bridge is there. Or I think in the, in the it's more of a leap. He yeah. jumps and he's able. He realizes there's a ledge across the way. It's not as long. Where in this he just steps off and there's a bridge, bridge to Terabithia, <laughs> <laughs> bridge right down to Terabithia, right down to Terabithia town, <laughs> and then that gets him to the night.
2: <laughs> i remember like as a kid just like being really baffled by it like understanding the sentiment and understanding that it's a bridge of some sort but like really not it's invisible i don't get it i don't understand is it invisible but then we see kind of like a side
1: shot of it and it's yeah and then you realize it's very thin precariously thin yeah and from every angle it looks correct so it's not like you have to just stand on the X and look that way to see the 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 illusion. If you even when they're showing the shots of it upside like looking up with a camera or the person can't be, it looks like it's not there, which that's why he's got to throw like the pebbles down on it. Imagine the, the uh,
2: you know the the, the
1: team of the people
2: The dudes to to build
1: <laughs> <realize, laughs> that. Okay, what should the next one be? Well, what if? <laughs> yeah. hear, me, hear me out. <laughs> <Yeah>. That writing <laughs> writing room can um, <laughs> <laughs> brainstorm. What if we create a bridge? Okay, but we paint it okay, so that it looks like there's no bridge. I think <laughs> Matthew and Jeremiah have the best thing on their hand. How about a big spider? How about we have... No, we already did that already. How about more blades? Um, Abraham, no more bra- blades. We've already done blades. Um, how about...
2: You Is there open fires or something we
1: can do with fire? No, we're in a desert. We, we won't, that won't work. How about... um how about if we open it up and it just sucks the life out of you <laughs> ark already does that no we can't do that one we have to be original already had that one go back to the writing room come back give me another idea so we finally at the end we get to the night and the night they originally wanted laurence olivier which i thought would have been a great idea if they were able to get laurence so olivier. they got a guy that that's close as they could come to <laughs> yeah, who, who was an actor who was retired who's been in retirement came out of retirement just for this role and it was he, does a great job at it. Lawrence Olivier couldn't do it because he was in ill health, and he died the same year, eighty nine, when this movie came out. Sad, and that kind of sucks because that would have been cool to have Lawrence Olivier in this part. Nowadays, they would have just done a sky captain's thing and just had it be. Laurence <laughs> yeah, have it actually be Lawrence Olivier or Peter Cushing come back from the rotoscoped, or you know, they would have deep faked it. Um, and then you have this whole ending bit with the night, which is in the novelization. Um, if we haven't bored to death yet with everything else here, <laughs> like, we
2: not We didn't read the fucking novelization. Yeah, we guys. don't really
1: give two shits. <laughs> <laughs> or there's a longer back and forth with him in the night. The night comes, and the whole thing. The night's like, "I'm here until am um, someone's. Um, I'm man in this post." Until somebody comes challenges me and I can get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like somebody I mean, takes he over. Kind
2: of, he says that here, but it's just longer. Yeah. Longer in the shame. in
1: the book, he he looks dead. Indy thinks he's just a very well preserved uh, corpse. Which That Be- would have been cool. Yeah, to and I realize like I just thought it they was they kind of a
2: mummified that. corpse yeah. of the night that was there.
1: But he opens his eyes, comes to, he does a couple swings actually cuts Indy I think he cuts off he, Indy backs enough away but he cuts off his his, uh, his bag yeah. and then that's when the guy's that's all he's got fight he's got left in him because he's old which you see it, it works in this and it's kind of to a comic effect where he's too heavy to hold the, the thing and it's then Indy's hard, like too, why do you look so old to handle too cold though <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh, he's like "It he took it out of me uh, I only had a, you know I needed more Viagra and um, Indy's like why do you look so old he's like well there were some days why do you look so old <laughs> yeah <laughs> cosa Why you look so old? Come on, Why do you look so old? Ciao, night. <laughs> Buonasera, night. Um, he asks him what year it is. The year in our Lord, da, da da Like you know, he's it's a thousand years. He thinks it's still the First Crusade, ten fifteen or whatever it is. And he says, "Why do you look so old?" And he says, "Well, because there were some days I couldn't get myself to drink out of the cup." So what we learn, they flesh out in the novelization, is you have to drink from the the cup in the fountain every day to keep your youth as well as, which I don't think I took away immediately, maybe because I'm an idiot as a kid that I thought, once you drink out of the cup, you have eternal life. And then I'm like, well, that means they're going to live forever. And he and his dad, I always thought, at the yeah, end of I always movie, thought that too, until, that they're going to live forever until
2: kind of like maybe the last time I watched it or this time where you realize like, Oh no, it only works in this building for some reason. Yeah.
1: It only works. <laughs> what well, you have to, you have to, the night makes clear you have to drink from the cup every day. A, and B, you have to stay within the building, because if you leave the building, as hinted with his two brother knights, they stay there for 150 years, which means, I guess, the three of them devised everything, maybe with helpers or whatever, then once they left to go back to his give more what happened... <laughs> We gotta get out of here, man. Yeah, man. I can't. One of us that has to stay. Though. I have no so. Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> they worry. Drew, draw straws to yeah, see which Uber one has eats to stay. Ain't gonna deliver out here, you know. I can't. You know, the mail ain't coming. Even they, they fed him some horseshit about like,
2: no, you're the bravest one. <laughs> yeah, you're the you're the best. Clearly,
1: <laughs> you always want to be the best. You need to stay.
2: You're yeah, the yeah, bravest you're of us.
1: So the two other guys left out of the desert. Only one makes it back. Talks to the friar. Hence, we get that scene early in the movie where the friar wrote it down. Here's the book. And that guy yada ends yada. up dying, yada yada yada, <laughs> and that's why they they died. But this knight's been drinking all this time. He's been waiting there a thousand years for this, and he's like, "Indy, you're here to replace me." And he's like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm not here to replace you. I'm <laughs> here to stop the clock." Yeah, I'm just here to help my dad. And you know, and then he's like, "Well, then you got to figure out which cup it is." And that's when Elsa Donovan show up there, and then Elsa, like you said, she she fakes them out. Does a catfish and gives him the wrong cup, Bitch. and that's a great sequence there. That you know what's happening to me, and I think that i alluded to earlier in this podcast did they use cgi there i i thought they said that to blend the three puppets they made together they used some sort of computer early version from what i took away from what i read i might be wrong they used like an earlier version like the michael jackson black or white video yeah
2: maybe i did hear like like i didn't know it at the time until instead of searching this that that it was it was some kind of like groundbreaking use of cgi to make all that come together
1: So instead of using a, um, what do you call that, optical printer to have the three stages of the puppet they made from, you know, uh, old to falling apart, what's happening to me, hair growing out to them, turning into bones, they kind of, like, instead of dissolving the idea of, like, with the Wolfman, you know, it's, like, Or just, like, straight
2: up, you know, like, of uh, of, claymation or whatever. Yeah, they
1: they kind of had three different puppets that they kind of seamlessly matched with some sort of computer AI or not AI, some sort some of computer. Yeah. <laughs> and I always thought that was a great death. Crazy as hell. You're like, oh my God, that's horrifying. It has that Spielberg look that you get from Poltergeist or from Raiders that. Yeah. It's awesome. You know really, I mean, it's also really interesting because it's
2: like, you know, the, the, the couple give you eternal life. He says, but you know, it'll take it away. Well, you, it like yeah. ages you, <laughs> you know. Like yeah, that takes, how it it takes away. you away quick.
1: Like... It just makes you die. It takes everything out of you. And then we have that classic line everyone loves. He chose poorly. It's great, you know what I mean? Yeah, perfect and then that's delivery. When, yeah, awesome. And then that's when he gets the cup. And then this is another thing you brought up about the so Indy decides the cup and explains to the audience what happens when he takes the cup and he drinks out of it, and is there and she's hoping too that it's the right cup and. Oh, so in the novelization, he, uh,
2: I know everybody's really engaged on our novelization <laughs> discussion. I just find it so interesting. He drinks the, he drinks from the, the cup, and at first he, f- he feels weird and what, everything gets kind of blurry. And he's like, oh, yeah, shit. Yeah, he's like, oh fuck. <laughs> he's like, oh shit, I drank the wrong from the rules of the right cup. Yeah. But then he has a vision where the, uh, the cup like sprouts wings and it becomes like his eagle spirit guide and like flies away or some shit. Yeah. And, uh, So it brings it all back like full circle of like this scene that Dion described. uh, That
1: vision journey, uh, that spiritual vision quest.
2: And then uh, she kind of, she like snaps him out of it. She's like, what? Are you all right? He's
1: like, yeah, I'm fine. Oh yeah,
2: yeah, I'm okay. But like he was like feeling the power of the grail like flow through him. And then it caused him to have this kind of like vision, this hallucination vision.
1: And is it true? Did you notice that after he drank, uh, some astute viewers of the movie have noticed that his, all his c- cuts and scars are gone. I've never I didn't notice that. It. Yeah. But I've uh, someone, I think in all the, him getting beat up on the tank and everything up to that point, people say it's gone. I mean, he still has the torn up clothing and all that, yeah. but um, you know, his, his um, cuts and bruises have been healed. And then he runs out to give his dad. And there's like a scene where he almost loses it when he's running across the bridge. He's going too fast. Feeds it to his dad. Dad comes back to life as we see in the movie. I always thought it was great them using the hydrum, hydrogen peroxide that yeah. dis- you know, dissolves <laughs> the wound. I think that's brilliant how they d- it just dissolves away. And then there's a little more, lastly. Like, it closes up with a bullet inside of <laughs> face. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, in the novelization, they explain it went right through. And that's the reason why he's gonna, there's a wound on the back and he's going to bleed out quicker because it, it was so powerful, close yeah. range. You know, he's, but in this you case... Know, there's yeah, this one. It, it, yeah, it's going to be fine. It shits it out the back or whatever. And then there's this, there's a little bit extra of with the knight. The knight comes back out and the knight's like, all right, who the fuck's going to replace <laughs> me? <laughs> I'm ready to go now. <laughs> yeah. And Come they're on. like, what do you mean? And they're like, he's like, you know, then he's looking at people. He looks at, you know, uh, Henry. And Henry's like, no, I'm an archaeologist. I'm, I'm a, a scholar. I'm a, I'm a scholar. I can't. And then he looks at Sala. He's like, you. And Sala's like, you know, yeah, I'm a strong man. I don't quite understand what you mean though. Salah's like almost gonna take it take it up on him. Well he's and, like
2: this he's like the Salah, you know, good night. Like, keeps calling him good night. Yeah.
1: And Salah's like,
2: yeah, yeah, good night, sleep tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't get
1: what you mean. He's like, no, not that way speak- not night that the other night. And while this conversation is happening, the only way I think they could have got out of this conversation without leaving somebody there, uh Sophie's choice kind of a situation, is that that's when Elsa grabs the cup and starts to book. And then they have that whole four situation where, you know, well,
2: and that's where the, that's where the knight says you can't, you can't cross the, the seal, seal instead yeah. of like in the
1: chamber of the, you got to stay here for it to, for the, for it to be uh, permanent. And as, as well as the cup can't leave, Cup, she tries to do it. And you have that whole situation. I always find that very gripping. Literally, no pun intended, we're like, you know, the crack is open, it falls, and she's there, and, and, he, and he's like, and he's, it, I find it so like the lion said, show truthfully, he's like, honey, I can't hold you, you know, like you yeah, know, yeah. and then you see the glove, and it's like, you're like oh my god, and then she, she decides for the cup, lose, you know, because she's the one who pulls her hand away from him. He had both her hands. Yeah, yeah. But she forces one away to try to get to the cup, and that's when she's he's losing the second glove hand. He falls. He tries to do the same thing. Well, when he's like, she falls, reach a daddy,
2: when she falls nowadays, it would be like a CGI. Her would hit like the side of the cliff. Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah exactly. But as is, she just falls into the into like the the fog the, the, or whatever, yeah, and that, it totally feels like um, Lost Boys on, when, they're, yeah, ha- when yeah, they're they're falling hanging out of the when the they're bridge. hanging from the brick.
1: Yeah, come on Michael yeah. and she lands in a different zone she just comes out like in like the you know the Beetlejuice like that weird world with the things she lands in that world or something yeah, yeah. and then he falls and he's hanging there and he's like I can reach it daddy and then he's like Indiana Indiana let it go and then it's yeah. like oh it's such a touching scene like you said it's a little heavy handed they come well,
2: up. It's just it's, what what doesn't ring true to me is like how instantly he becomes obsessed with the grail yeah i guess maybe
1: it's to show how much the power of it is yeah i
2: guess yeah i mean you know it's probably the hypnotized but yeah because up to this point like he hasn't really given a shit about the grail no even with the even with like the guy who's part of the brotherhood he's like if you seek the grail like blah 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 he's like i don't he, he basically says i'm not looking for the Grail. i'm just trying to find my father
1: And that's how he gets the, yeah. He's like, okay, well,
2: here's where he is.
1: Here's the address he's at. I just, I Uber (laughs) dropped him off there. (laughs) Licks the tip of the pencil and writes it down. You have a pencil? Give me the menu. (laughs) Give me that napkin. He writes it down. Here's the address. Just put a map in it, a Google map, and you can find it.
2: But, barring the fact, aside from the fact that that's a, uh, if you go with, you take the leap of faith that, you know, Indy becomes instantly obsessed with the Grail and forgets everything that just happened with Elsa.
1: And he says that's what just happened with Elsa too. That was the uh, he realizes that was Elsa's downfall. It was yeah. that Elsa that happened to Elsa? And he saw the futility and what happened to her. And he was mere inches away from f- having that same fate. Yeah. If he wasn't, if he wasn't clicked out of it, because maybe it is just like looking. It's like opening the uh, suitcase in Pulp Fiction. You're so memorized by yeah, it, mesmerized. Yeah. But you know, uh,
2: it's and beautiful. In, <laughs> and in the it's, it's Sala that has him that catches him right. Yes. And, yeah. But. Yeah. If, but Henry's just leaning down. Yeah, yeah Henry still give, delivers the line. Yeah, but where in this movie, it's, it's Henry holding him. There's you know, that's a little more of touching. Little more touching and,
1: yeah, and, but I, I, it's more believable that Salah, the bigger guy, will be able to but we deal, got, flip uh, him up. You know, yeah. got
2: Henry's post, post-Grail, post so. Yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's, he's already, he's
2: jacked, he's like, Oh uh, He had but, his B12 uh, shot, and he's like, oh, Yeah, I mean, and of course, like, it's just like a, the punctuation to the scene that we were talking about post-Tank. Uh, where this is the first time, probably in Indiana Jones's entire life, that his dad has called him Indiana, yes, um let it go, and uh then you know pulls him up, and what kind of works in this, which doesn't work in the novelization, is when after he pulls him up and they gotta get the hell out of there, we see the night, and Henry sees the night, yeah. Because he in the novelization, as we were just saying, there's this big scene where he's with the knight. He hangs out with
1: the knight. Yeah. They they, they shoot the shit. They have like two scenes with the knight. Yeah. You know, they have the scene with the grail, and then when he comes out, he kind of walks him out. He's like, hey, guys. But it's,
2: (laughs) hi. (laughs) But it's Henry's, but Henry has a scene with the
1: knight. Yeah. Then Henry's able to, oh, my God. And that's, I find that very poignant, you know, that Henry gets to see. Yeah. Because that,
2: because that's the that's that's why it that's works. That's the point. <laughs> that's the point. That's why it works in the movie so well. Is like because this has been Henry's entire life's work, and he was he's, right. He's dedicated the majority of his life to to, to making this, uh, trying to solve these clues and making this diary and making this map and doing all this stuff, and he ends up having to sit the whole thing out, yeah. and he lives through it through through his son, but then when he sees the night. Like that's all he gets out of it is like, but it's also like the the gratification of like, it's his moment of reflection to be like he
1: he gets something
2: yeah like he it's, he sees it this is what he's been looking he's been working towards the, the validation
1: he's like shit don't you fucking see him here he's right there
2: <laughs> so he sees him and so it's a very I mean it's a very it's yeah a, it's, it's a great moment and it's very and then touching. me
1: and you both um you know we didn't plan it but we both waved back at the knife. <laughs>
2: But it's also fucking tragic for the knight because it's like that one, he's like, "Ah." he's
1: He's stuck there. And two, if he lost the grail and the grail doesn't magically get returned by way of something we don't understand, if it really just falls in that chasm and down the hole, whatever breaks, whatever, then the knight's doubly screwed because then he can't drink out of the thing anymore. Yeah, you both, I mean, you guys have really screwed me over. If two you're times. going by
2: the rules of the novelization. He's got to drink through that thing every day.
1: Yeah, he's like, le- you're throwing away my. It's like you threw my inhaler away.
2: <laughs> I need the. Ep- but rule. it's also like even more tragic if if he's stuck. It's just as tragic years. if he doesn't die because he doesn't have the girl. Because now he's like, he's like shit. Now, you paid your taxes. now the grail's gone. You, you paid in your social security, and now you're not getting anything for it. <laughs> the gr- I sat here for eight hundred years, more a thousand, thing. and uh, and now that's it's not even here. I don't even need to stay.
1: Yeah, because it's gone. But yeah, I can't but get I'm, out now. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> you blocked the freaking door because of that bitch. I'm stuck in here, and then I lost my means of being able to stay alive. Because now, technically, he could leave. Yeah, I'm done.
2: Yeah, like, the girl fell into the chasm. Yeah, Yeah.
1: my my job here is done. I'm not needed here anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't have a signal on my phone either. Wait up, guys. His wave (laughs) is not by. His wave's like, hey, wait up. (laughs) Hey, do you have room in the car (laughs) for me? (laughs) <laughs> it's like the same guy who's by the in the water in the canal. He's like, "Hey, I'm here. Watch out! <laughs> Don't forget about me." And then the last scene, I find it touching, and I think it works maybe a little better that they have that they end on a lighthearted note where they have the 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 final reveal, which is hilarious that I never saw coming. We named the dog Indiana, and that was hilarious. You were named after a dog, you know. And then you see the dog at the beginning of the movie when you know he runs in River Phoenix runs, and you see the dog wait, you know, look up at him. That's Indiana. And and he's like, I had a lot of fun, ma- fine memories with that dog, Dad. And then, you know, Marcus Brody, and it ends like in that perfect note. Marcus Brody then runs away. Follow me, I know the way. And then he's like, you got lost in his own resume. Eh? You know, we go call back to that earlier joke, Plus, and it works great.
2: Little nod to the Resident of the Lost Ark episode where we discovered that Indiana Jones was named after
1: George Lucas's. Dog, yes. Dog who was named Indiana. The Alaskan, whatever that kind of I forget the breed is. And then you have that final shot which we all thought was the end of this trilogy of them riding off into the sunset together perfectly. Then you know, and then I think it's (laughs) Indy trying to run after (laughs) trying to grab Marcus's (laughs) 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 horse. (laughs) And then another great soundtrack, as we know, by John Williams. I love when you see the arc on the in the hieroglyphics in the catacombs, you have the little cue. You hear the cue from Raiders, and nah, nah, nah. you know, I can't tell yeah, oh, yeah. you. Know, so <laughs> What's that? Stuff. He's the Ark of the Covenant. Are you sure? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty fucking sure. <laughs> um, I guess, to as we in conclusion, um, I, I think we should bring up the funny thing that you and I discovered is that we, um, when you and I went to go say, hey, let's read the novelization, we both had. Uh, I got at one of those uh, free libraries, like, you know, you put a book, leave a book, take a book um, that are around town. I found a compendium of all three uh, novelizations, the Borders exclusive of Raiders, Temple Doom, Last Crusade. And I was like, sweet, I'll have this just in case we ever do Raiders of the Lost Ark, I'll read this. And then when I looked at it, it's the Scholastic Edition, and it's written by this lady called... um, What's her name? I don't know what her name is. Her name was on here. But anyway... And I was like, that doesn't sound like the guy who wrote the Temple of Doom that we read for Temple of Doom. And I went and checked my Temple of Doom novelization. And I was like, wait a minute. And it's two different books. And then I realized that this Scholastic Edition, they they paid a lady to rewrite all three movies in 2008 to put them in a compendium to come out in connection with the uh, movie coming out, The Crystal Skull. And I don't know why they. I don't know. Maybe we should have researched that a little better. But I don't know why they would have paid somebody to redo a Scholastic version of a. And I. I didn't read this version. I went back and you and I bought the '89 novelization by uh, McGregor, and read that, which is McGregor, which is truer to the to the original. But I'm sure if you read this, it's probably by the book. She probably just watched the movie (laughs) and just wrote. You know what I mean? Every every beat from the movies in that. She's just a very quick typist. Yeah, exactly. She's <laughs> you know, so um, you know, almost like it's a it's a cheat sheet. You know, so I don't know. It's, it's oh, writer Wilhelm, writer Windhelm is her name that wrote this uh, in two thousand eight. So it's just interesting. So I mean, I guess if you had the time, it would be interesting to read this version, which I think is much shorter too because it's big font. But I found that so interesting that I'm so well, glad. Scholastic
2: we didn't... is more of, it's it's more of like. Middle school, right? Yeah, the high right? school. It's like for it's more it's for a younger audience. Typically, Scholastic, like the Scholastic Book Club.
1: Yeah, and the and um member like used to get that. in so Maybe up.
2: that's the reason. Also, maybe different publishers owned the different oh, novelizations. Yeah, so they couldn't do like a just all three in one.
1: Because wasn't Alan Dean Foster kind of in a fight with Star Wars because he wrote the first novelization and he was saying like you've used that, so you guys owe me checks. He, I forget. There's some sort of thing with Alan Dean Foster, or he wrote some stuff, and it was Star Wars or something. Alan and he's Dean Foster with has
2: a, which I I've purchased, but I haven't read yet, and I wish they would make a, I wish he would release a digital book of it because I, I'm just like, you know, I love the thought of a hardcover, but it's like just totally not practical to read a hardcover. <laughs> yeah, uh, but he has a he ha, he wrote an autobiography.
1: Alan oh Dean wow, Foster. that'd be awesome.
2: And I and I have it. I per I, yeah. I ordered it from like his website or whatever. But uh, because it's like a hardcover book, I don't know when I'll get around to reading it.
1: As whereas if it was like on my Kindle, oh. I, I probably would have read it by now. I, I can handle. I like physical books and stuff. It's fun. I don't and mind a paperback so, because paperback, hardcover. Like this paper, paperback, you, can you can kind of like bend the.
2: Put it in your pocket. Yeah, but also when you read it, like you can dog kinda, ear it. You can kind of bend the cover is a little more
1: flexible, so you can hold it. Hard cover, you got to be careful. Hard cover,
2: (laughs) you really have to hold it.
1: Uh, And he, because he wrote a whole plethora of stuff, and he also wrote that, and didn't end up being, what is the Splinter of the Eye, the the proposed sequel to Star Wars that he wrote as a book, but then they ended up going with Empire Strikes Back, but I have that. Yeah, I mean, he's... Splinter uh, of Mind's Eye, I think it's called. He's probably the
2: most... uh, Prolific. If if not the
1: most prolific, the most, like, famous
2: novelization right he
1: did the black hole he did alien i think too so anyway so maybe you're right maybe it was a rights issue so that's the novelization issue we came up with here enough of the novelization anything to close with uh just Um,
2: that uh you know (laughs) real quick uh you know obviously coming off this movie as Dion said coming off the success of the novelization and of course the notion of a young indiana jones adventure at the beginning of this eventually spawned 1992s the young Indiana Jones Chronicles, as Deanne pointed out, River Phoenix didn't want to come back. Um, Lucas had this uh, vision of creating a series that was educational to yeah. each younger audience about world history. It uh, premiered in March of 1992 on ABC. Um, we lasted... all watched it, remember? Well, I watched it. Was, uh, I was Phoenix. way into it. Yeah, it
1: was musty see TV. You um,
2: know. Lasted two seasons on ABC until 1994 when uh, it got kind of cancelled and he sold it to Fox Family Channel uh, with the kind of like the uh, part of the deal was that you'll air the ones that didn't air because that not all of them had aired and they would produce four I think they produced four made for TV movies. Based on that, in uh, of course, then in 1996, this is the beginning of Lucas's going back and tinkering <laughs> with previous things. He starts to combine the episodes. Uh, there are already feature-length movies like The Mystery of the Blues, which is very is two episodes. Feels like two episodes yeah. together. Like
1: there's two totally different stories. <laughs> and if people aren't familiar with the series, what it basically was is, for the most part. There was uh, a child Indiana Jones uh where he's like, you know, under ten. And then there was Sean Patrick Flannery, uh, who would play the River Phoenix a, a little older, the late twenties. We played
2: him from like eighteen to twenty one.
1: And he was he's awesome. I've met him once and he was he was such a nice guy. And but the how the show would start is it was Indiana Jones in present times. So you had a very elderly man who's still wearing a hat, has lost an eye, he's wearing an eye patch. Yeah. And he was ninety, so you think about I remember one episode. He starts he's in the emergency room for something, and he's then it's always he regales somebody with a story, and then it's like and it goes back, and then that's your episode of of him remembering that you know and. So he's like, you know, that's why I said it was brilliant to have him. It, that said into me when I was watching the show. If you have him born in 1900, in 1992, he's 92. That's com- completely conceivable. He's an elderly man regaling someone about a story, and then you cut to the story. So yeah. that's how the that's how the s- format of the show usually was. Looking that's back what I'm on saying it now, this. if you watch those,
2: but you can see on YouTube, the, uh, yeah. like the compilations of the old indie wraparounds. Yeah. He's a little bumbling. Like it's kind of a sad way to remember
1: it. <laughs> oh, really? I don't remember that. Indiana. But I said all that for you because you're saying now about the tinkering, right? Yeah, There's, yeah. It was yeah. a good.
2: It was a good time to kind of step in and and make that clear because what <clears throat> uh, he, Lucas starts tinkering in 1996 and he combines all the episodes to make 23 feature length movies.
1: So he turns into like Marcus Brody. You're saying? <laughs> like,
2: yeah, kind of. Oh, that's okay. Sorry. Uh, and in doing so, he combines, in most cases, he combines two episodes. Some of them kind of work as a, as a combination. A lot of them don't. Um, he reorders them chronologically so that they play out chronologically. Because before, it would be like there would be an episode with him as a little kid.
1: Yeah. There would be an episode of him as a teenager. Which I loved because you didn't know what you were going to get. Although, I, I always wanted the, the Sean Patrick. Yeah, you Fray- always wanted the one. Sean Patrick. <laughs> Fray- you know? episodes. Yeah. You know? But I was like,
2: ah, I'll take it. He uh, removes all the <clears> old <throat> indie bookends. And uh, he write, initially retitles them as "The Adventures of Young." young India, "The Adventures of Indiana Jones as a Young Man," which no, is a horrible title.: Yeah. And then eventually it gets changed to "The, young, the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones."
1: I still think so, it should be
2: the Young Indiana Jones Adventures, but that's just me. And that's how it comes out, I think, on DVD.
1: So you lose the, the book ends with the old man. You lose the old Indian.: That's a shame and um as we said that the the guy who did the novelization wrote the which i want to go now seek out the books that led up to the idea of doing this yeah there's I'm a having, lot of cool you know, books yeah, yeah that evidently are canon you know that uh, explain some stuff and i don't i wonder if there's any enthusiast or if there's de- in the indies wiki page if we ever know why he lost his eye maybe they tell you that in the sh- well they couldn't have tell you that in the show cuz it would have happened maybe it happens in the in the new I, movie I, I coming out i was like when you know, I saw that they cool. were making another
2: one, I was like, they shouldn't have him have one eye.
1: Yeah, lose his or eye. Maybe he in, loses his eye in, this in the movie. movie. That's the stakes of it. He loses his eye, and I, that makes sense. But that's a shame that you lose because I liked I know, I like the idea of it. As you're saying, maybe it hasn't aged well. I do like the idea, you know, if you go talk to your grandparents and then them telling you a story of whatever. I like that. I, You it's know, I like that feels, format. It
2: feels a lot of, like. Um, doesn't Young Guns 2 have that kind of that? Oh, yeah, yeah, because he meets the. <laughs>
1: It's the true – because Young Guns too that there's a guy in the 40s who supposedly an elderly man came forth saying he was William Bonnie Billy the Kid and uh, it was like an episode of you know Unsolved Mysteries was he in fact William Bonney, William B- B- Billy the Kid and that's how that book ended where the the reporters going there and trying to get the story and he's like I'll tell you the story and he goes and he goes to him you know and and so I like that idea yeah yeah and you know and it also grounds him in reality it grounds him in the modern world he's still here yeah. You know any kind of connection to the old days? You know it's kind of like, I don't know. For me, there's the last Columbo is in 2003, the last movie, and it's him like the, solving a mystery like in a like a, I don't know, a rave, and it's like, well, wow, that's weird because it's connecting Columbo to modern or what was at one time the modern world, you know, as opposed to the 70s. But, <clears throat> just to kind of button this up, yeah,
2: the the movie that we've been talking about, the, the Young Indiana Jones and the Mystery of the Blues, which actually was a TV movie from season two not one of the tv movies that you know got made for fox family aired dion yeah on march 13th 1993
1: i think i knew that because i probably watched it the (laughs) night it aired which i do have a memory of watching it in march so that's because my birthday is the 13th of march and that's and I remember that being a huge event. You know, you see, like, look who's in this, and it's him, like, with the saxophone in the rocking chair. And you're like, holy shit, Indiana Jones is back. And then, you know, he's only in, like, six minutes of the movie because it's just, the, again, the wraparounds, which is perfectly fine for me.
2: Yeah. When they released it on DVD, they also released every episode had a series of short documentaries about the real historical figures that are featured in the episode. That's awesome. And they were good. So I mean, yeah. I don't have them, but I remember because at one point when Netflix was doing the, the discs back yeah. in the, the earliest days, I would get them. And
1: what uh, you just told me they don't do anymore blew my mind. And old I am. So the, so, but then now your fear is that they're... Didn't you say that Disney Plus may have them because it's a I've Disney heard property? that because
2: of the movie coming out, the new movie coming out. That if they if they're not already on there, that Disney Plus is going to put them on Disney Plus, but. I wonder if they're going to do the adventures of young Indiana Jones, the movies, or if they're going to break it back up into the Chronicles.
1: Yeah. But, uh, and if it'll look just SD. Yeah. Well, only time. Well, will let's tell. hope that. Cause I yeah. imagine
2: they shot all that on film. So yeah, I hope that they cleaned all that up. I mean, that was yeah. one of the reasons why that show didn't last, was because it cost so goddamn much to make. Yeah, <laughs> like and they had to travel they're they're all, all, these places all and stuff. over the world to film these things.
1: Yeah, and they're having all the research if they're having the, these real and the scripts. production values were
2: really good for back yeah. then.
1: Right, <laughs> that's like you know around the days of Briscoe County Jr., all that era of uh, <sighs> Father Dowling mysteries, all that uh, MacGyver, Quantaleep. Anyway. Um, yeah, I really thoroughly enjoyed that series. That was really geared towards me growing up as well. Uh, I found that awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think this was great. I mean, I it, to me, it really held up. It was awesome. Uh, I think it's a great third, in my opinion, third act. Um, you know, and uh, I, I would have loved, you know, in, a, in another world, I would have loved to see a whole series, 20 movies. I would have loved to keep seeing Indiana Jones doing stuff. And with his dad. And evidently, they said, too, in the other movie, they wanted to, of course, what's his face? Um, um, Elliot? Den, Den, what's his name? Del, Delham? Um, oh, uh, yeah. Um, Den, Den, Denham? Oh Denholm Den- Den- Elliot. Denholm. That's such a great name. Denholm Elliot. He died of uh, HIV in the early 90s. So he couldn't be in the the 2008 movie, um, so they have a statue to him to pay honor to him, which is awesome, I think. But then they wanted to have Sean Connery reprise his role in a scene, and he declined because he said he's retired, which kind of sucks because that would have been cool to have, Indy, uh, have him in a scene, a Henry come back.
2: Now, in the deep recesses of my memory, I recall did... Uh... We have Denholm Ellis yes. on an he's episode. In, he's in
1: Tales from the Dark Side. <laughs> uh, he's in either Tales from the Crypt: The or he's in the Vault of Horror. He's in yeah. one of those two double features that the, the movie, and he's awesome. We talk about him in that. I forget which one he. I forget which one it is. He's in. He's either in Tales from the Tales from the Crypt: The Movie or the Vault of Horror movie. But it's, from, he's from awesome. Our, at it. From our
2: October yeah. of anthology movies. Yeah, oh, yeah,
1: exactly. That year we did anthology series movies. We did a double feature because we covered both of them in one episode. Yeah. And we discovered
2: that was a bad idea because it was like doing twenty movies <laughs> in one <a multiple>. month. <laughs> yeah,
1: wow, it was tough. And I read the novelization for those two because those were really good. I think I read the.
2: I think I had um, Tales from the
1: Crypt, but I didn't have Vault of Horror. Yeah, yeah, the Vault of that was good. Any anyway, yeah, so yeah, he's been on. Denholm's been on before. He's a great actor as well. Uh, great stuff. And, uh, and and even Donovan, the guy who played Donovan, he was in Empire Strikes Back. He's the landing party in the at, and the Pierrot Walker sequence. A lot of great people all over this movie, which we kind of skipped over this cherry pick, you know, all the people we, Max Roach is that we said was uh, Max Roach is a Pat Roach, maybe not Max Roach. Max Roach is a drummer, Pat Roach. Uh, and uh, we're sorry if we didn't mention anything people liked. I think we cover kind of covered everybody, right? Everything as much as we could. Three hours along, more than
2: more than most people probably wanted us to.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, so well, we'll get ready for some complaints. Then sorry, people, we talk a lot. But well, uh, you know, uh, to wrap it up, I thought this was great, awesome. Um, I'm so glad we covered this. It was fun and. Uh, it's fun because we had just done the fugitive, so it's a little double feature. And if people haven't figured it out, we're kind of doing this to celebrate the new movie coming out, Dial of Destiny, <laughs> at the end of the month of June of 2023. So that was another reason why we were doing this, you know, to to do to cover to finish our Indianas. Maybe well, maybe we'll do down the line Crystal Skull. I don't know. Who knows? We'll you know, it. or we'll do the entire run of <laughs> <laughs> Young Indiana Jones, but the one by one. Yeah, one one. Uh, those are the supplement sidecasts. <laughs> so um all right uh anything else you got for for this (laughs) you done Uh, i don't think so man it's yeah it's yeah the sun's gonna be coming up soon yeah yeah um uh yes so let's see uh as always check us out uh you know we have all of our places you know where to find us we're on twitter we're on facebook we're on instagram you can find blake you can find me yeah you want to support us maybe buy our books our products buy them in bulk as John Pizzarelli says, <laughs> yeah. buy in bulk. Buy in bulk. Uh, you can Scour find to death. both of our books. Yep. Cool. Uh, score to
2: death conversations with some of horror's greatest composers and score to death two more conversations with some of horror's greatest composers available on Amazon from other book retailers or from me signed from at score to You can listen to score to death radio and the cinematic sound radio network and uh you can listen to some of the back episodes of score to death the podcast um i still have one episode i have yet to edit and put up maybe i'll get that up soon and uh we're in the process of making score to death the dark art of scary movie music documentary about uh the art of horror movie scores and of course uh the rec- the the companion record which is also in the works so Everything's scored to death. You can follow me on social media at scored to death and, uh, at Score to death.com.
1: How's the doc going?
2: Slow, but, uh, I will be traveling to LA. I'll be staying there for four weeks Oof. towards the end of the summer to try to knock out as many interviews as I can.
1: Blake, trust no one. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, finishing,
2: buttoning up the record. Um, nice there's a lot of because i've never done it before there's a lot of little things that need to be done that uh i didn't know about so um we're behind schedule on that but by not not by a ton uh so we're finishing that up and then that's going to go off to the uh vinyl pressers and then uh, shortly after that the cd will go off to that that manufacturer but uh, nice Yeah, movie's been a little bit slow as I concentrate on that. And since most everybody I need to interview is in L.A., it's been like trying to figure out when to go. So I finalized that. So I'll be in L.A. for a lot of the summer. Sweet, sweet. The hottest part.
1: <laughs> yeah, <the> hottest time. <laughs> the hottest time. It's gonna, time gonna time look to like that. Yeah. The Falling Down or that movie 187 <laughs> where it's just blue or red. Um and then you can find me, uh my two books, Blood in the Streets and Morris P.I., uh The Men from Ice House Four on Amazon or other book retailers in paperback, uh Ebook or audiobook, and uh, I act on the side. I've got some stuff. If you just come follow my pages, you could see what I've done on my free time and stuff like that. And I'm, um, you know, keep checking us up for updates I'm um, writing another one now and uh, you know that's a good way to support us and check us out and follow Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers where you get your podcast where you found it here you can go find the back catalog if you like what you listen to uh, and interact with us on our social medias um, or on the Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers page and we'll be back soon right we're going to be back at the end of the summer we think or before then we're going gonna, to
2: at the very least hope to get a, an anniversary uh, yeah, episode so, in, 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 in in September but if, we don't, if you don't hear from that we'll see
1: yeah well maybe we'll be there before that we don't know we haven't decided yet but as always thanks for listening if uh, what is it the lord willing and the creeks don't rise we'll see you next time (laughs)
2: later